Ah, Jeffrey. What's that you have in your hand, boy? Pass it over. A telegram. Oh dear. Seems someone has been biting me. Fetch me my trousers at once. No, not those. Those are my time travel trousers. Those are my tea trousers. That's it. Those ones. My fighting trousers. Yeah, yeah. Dear sir, regarding your recent foray into the rap business and the scene you portray, see, I don't normally approve of war games, but he's buying is what they all say. And by Harry, they might be right. This is hip hop, not an Elvis night. Show this professor impersonation. Let it end now, it's impertinent waiting. You seem a reasonable chap. What you need to do is rap and not parody chap hop, because that's not proper. Just not cricket. And hello again. Welcome to another episode of The Bacon Burgers. I'm your co host, Lockie. And as per the usual, I've got who with me tonight. Rubes is in the house. JD, kicking it old school. Yeah, boy. Now so it's a it's a very cold. Uh, it's not not that cold, but it's a very Humid. wet, yeah. very wet night in Melbourne. There's been some flash flooding and everything today. We weren't we weren't even sure if we actually uh, make make the recording, guys. Yeah, well, uh, up north where I'm from, they did have some rain, uh, some flooding further north. But my Krill Seas starter set arrived, so I was ready with torpedo boats to zip on down. Appropriate, yeah. Yep, perfect yeah, timing. Yeah. <laughs> come come straight down the uh, the Elwood Canal in your uh, e boat. Yep. Yeah, uh, looking to sink some shipping. I did row here by via canoe, but no, no. So we've um, we've it's been a while, guys. It's been a couple of months um since recording last, but we've just had a uh, a, a tournament on the weekend, well, an event on the weekend, uh, run by Rubes. Yeah, first time TOing, a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Uh, that was awesome. Um, I, I had I had a heap of fun. Um, uh, that was Conquest Europa with fourteen players, but we're gonna we're gonna talk about that soon, very very soon. But first, guys, we're going to be talking about some hobby. JL, I know you've been doing some stuff. Yeah, well, uh, 50 Shades of, of Baby Poo Brown. Um, I finally got the, uh, the Soviet Army on the table. Um, that was the very first time that it's, uh, it's had a chance to go out. Um, yeah, that, w- that was a, a fair bit of doing. Yeah, uh, you've, been w- that done. you've been working on that for a while. Yeah, uh, since Little Wars, which is... June, is June, June or July, I think. Yeah, June or July, some, somewhere around about then. Yeah, right. So, there's just pretty standard, um, like, summer-themed Russians, right? Soviets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, summer or autumn um, Soviets. So, it's, it's mostly... Uh, it's mostly Eureka. Oh, is it? Yeah. Actually. So, yeah. all metal? Uh, nearly all metal. There's only maybe... 20 plastics in there. Oh, is it? How'd yeah. you find the the uh, the metal kits? Oh, the metals are lovely. Yeah. Um mm. the the warlord um warlord naval infantry are, are just really really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I managed to uh, score a naval army not that long ago. Um and yeah, I'm looking forward to putting those together and getting those on the table in amongst my other 20 other projects on the go. Really? Yeah. The na- oh, the warlord squad uh the warlord naval squad is amazing. I I I love my uh my squad that I use um, when I do play the Soviets, which isn't often anymore. What about the Eureka kits? Oh, the, yeah, the, the Eurekas are really nice. Um, the, on, the only issue with them is that there's not 
a tremendous amount of variety in terms mm. of the, I mean there's only maybe 10 sculpts out of that so if you're building um, three or four squads there's, there's a lot of repetition in there they scale fairly well with the warlord stuff though don't they well the, the interesting thing about it is that they look really young um, the, the way that the faces are sculpted they look like they're about 16 years old compared to the kind of grizzled, so accurate <laughs> yeah, yeah, compared to the kind of grizzled um, uh, sculpting on the on the, the warlords and I, I don't think that's that's a bad thing at all. No, no, yeah, good variety and adds some that sort of depth to it, I suppose. Yeah, no, they they're, they're really nice nice figures. And um, did you do any any modifications on them? If you were like, if they were limited in posing? No, 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 I I, I really didn't. Um, I think for for medals, the difficulty of chopping arms off and and repositioning them and stuff is not really worth it. It's a lot of work, um, especially considering that. If I really wanted to bulk that out, I could buy a bunch of artisan or like yeah, tree yeah. or something. Re- repositioning and and um, and converting metals is a more of a long term project rather than a short term get an army done sort of project. I've always found. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, on the the uh, vehicles, I had two of the uh, Rubicon gas trucks. Um, lovely kits, mm. and, as always. All the the Rubicon stuff is. Uh, in my experience, really cool. You know, easy to put together, great detail. No issues with that. Uh, there was a, what I think is a Warlord T3485 there, although I, I got it secondhand and had to strip it right back, so I'm not sure what its original thing was, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a, it's a Warlord. Um, had to do a fair bit of work on that one because it, the state that I got it in was was a bit rough. Was it plastic? Yes, yeah, plastic. It was. So, how did yeah. you um, do some fixing up on it? Uh, that was just dunked in a bath of meths for a couple of hours, and then just scrubbed with a toothbrush. And didn't melt it or anything like with the, no, the with plastics the plastics were fine. The resins, on the other hand, uh, we, we've we've touched on this in 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 other casts. I think that. Uh, some of the resin vehicles that I got in that lot um, had a very bad reaction with the stripping agents. But uh, I, I got the um, ISU-155 sorted out after that uh, that little, little issue. I think that that was actually a um, Company B model. Mm. Um, judging from other things that I've seen that have that um, incorporated base um, built into the bottom of it. Um, that that's a nice kit. You know, it's stripped down okay. That's awesome. What else do you have in there? Uh, there's a. Um, I know that you had uh, three units of anti-tank rifles. Yeah, three anti-tank rifles. Uh, unit of um, engineers, which I I didn't take all of them this time. I just took the the flamethrower kit. Were they the the warlord ones? Yeah, the the warlord and ones. Did you run them with body armor or without the body armor? No, no. Well, I I just took the 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 two guys in the flamethrower mm. unit this time. Um, the body armor on top of the, the veteran and all of their other rules. It, pretty, it pro- gets, pretty pricey. Gets pricey. Yeah. Um, there was a Ziz 3. Oh, yeah. The divisional gun. In there. The divisional gun. That's such a good, such a good uh, unit, isn't it? So yeah. That dub- does double duty, doesn't it? As a howitzer and a AT. 
Yes. Yep. Yep. Does uh, does both. Yeah, it's a, a lot of value for like 75, 80 points, yeah, I think. Yeah, pretty cheap. Um, so you just chuck a horseborn limber on there for an extra dice. Goes on. Cheese. That's all. We only had, what was it, 12.31 points? 12.31, just for something nice and random. A very, very even number, of course. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be surprised how many lists actually came in right at 12.31. Really? Yeah, it was... Most of I, them I, much I, almost I, on I got them. mine on right on the yeah. bottom. Yep. I reckon at least half, if not more, were spot on. Well, SMGs are normally two or three points. So you can three normally points usually for an SMG. Yeah, so depending on what squad it is. I um, when it came to list submission date, actually, it, I I was doing up a list and I didn't I didn't really think about it too much because I didn't have that much time. I was pretty been pretty busy. But um, I wrote up a 1,200-point list, and I just sent it to you guys and to Hari, who I grudged. And um, Hari's like, um, you're a little bit short. And I, I was actually 1,190 or something because I, I didn't have 10 points to spend. So I was really 40 points down, and I'm like, oh, oh crap. Like, <laughs> I, re- I just completely so forgot. you got the medic into the list? Oh, yeah, I just chucked a, med- a veteran medic with an extra, extra, extra man in. <laughs> um, we'll discuss that medic later on. Oh, yes, we will. <laughs> there is a little bit of a story there. Um yeah, but yeah, that's cool. I really liked your uh, your Soviet army in jail. Like, it was good to see uh, you playing an army that wasn't Germans once. Well, it, it was really actually a very cool feeling, uh, and it it gave me a perspective of this being fresh and interesting in a way with the game that I haven't had for for quite a long time. Um, and I sort of felt like it uh, let me break out of a bit of a box. Mm. They're playing a different army. Admittedly, it's it's a it's a bit more forgiving than a mm. uh, a veteran German army, but um, yeah, it was a lot lot of fun to to put that on the table. And um, considering that I didn't have any time to test it beforehand, really, because I was so, right up. Against so you didn't the line. get any games in before? No. No. Okay. No. That's always a, a bit of a challenge when you're playing a, a new army from scratch yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, but that being said, I'd, I'd played a lot against um, Ivan's Soviet army oh, in the yeah. lead up to that, which isn't massively dissimilar from, from what I was taking. So I had some insight into how this works and what it can do. Yeah. I do have one question. Given in the past you have piaded a horse, did you anti-tank rifle a horse in this uh, event? No, no, sadly I didn't. And and on that front, I even managed to miss at point-blank range with the 152mm uh, howitzer several times. Um, <laughs> I, I missed two squads of guys hiding behind a hedge, rolling ones, and I got shot in the face at point-blank range by a stug. That was kind of epic, though. Um, at point blank range as well, so so the hate grease was strong <laughs> with rolling these ones when it was so it was well heated, easy just to, to hit it. It's right in front of you, but no, somehow you can you can miss with a a, 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 a shell the size of a dustbin. Uh, oh jeez, now that's awesome. Well, look, I haven't done any. Uh, uh, admittedly, I haven't done any hobby in the last couple of months. Um, because the last uh, before this event, the last event I played was Brad's uh, Desert War event, um, and I did a lot of work just to get my um, my French army all base coded and everything ready to play. Um, and I think that burnt me out quite a bit. Um, and I've been busy with work and stuff, so like literally I haven't touched a, a brush in the last two months. 
unfortunately. So I don't have much to say in this section. But Rubes, you've been doing some hobby. I've done a little bit. Um, not as much as I would have liked. Um, between work, an unexpected trip to the US and a new lady in my life, I've been uh, quite... Um, quite uh, tied up and short for time but I have squeezed in a bit of hobby as we mentioned the lead up to uh, Conquest Europa I had to smash out a couple of tables worth of terrain um, which ha, have you you built terrain and stuff before haven't you like, oh, yeah, so you're, yeah, not a, yeah. you're not new at this no 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 it's just uh, the volume of tables that we had to have um, and without doing the ring around for tables from everyone and a big thank you to JL for supplying a very lovely table um, Andrew Baxter supplied some tables and I polished off the other three tables we required so i got out the uh the straight mdf um ruins i've got a multitude of and finally put some paint to them um and it's also got me very motivated to up my terrain game after this event um well i, I was thinking about that um looking around that that room that the standard of terrain that we're starting to get at um at the events that we're running now it, it really just ups the immersion. Yeah. It's starting yes. to look really cool now. Yeah. When, when you see And that's stuff that's what's really up. driven me to now um, really up my game. Um, War Games Illustrated had four uh, consecutive issues that had articles about up, upgrading your MDF terrain. So I've been uh, studying those uh, furiously and um, going to take a lot away from that. Other than that, uh, I've been working on my Wake Island US Marines. I uh, got back to that. I was going to take that to CanCon. I'm not going to get the army done in time. I still don't even know if I've got enough points worth. I literally, a uh, week and a half ago, got most of them on their bases and uh, undercoated, and that's about it. Um, but I have polished off a few more since, but I won't make CanCon anyway, no. but I will take uh, that army uh, next year. Are you going to CanCon? At this stage, I don't think so. Mm. Um, getting accommodation and everything this late in the game is pretty hard. Um, I do have a mate who runs miniature scenery who said he may have an, a, um, an extra space that I might yeah, that might be available if someone pulls out, but I'd probably be helping him with his stall rather than gaming so much at, uh, at CanCon. Yeah, well, we'll talk later, but I, I guess I'm one, going up, that's what I'm saying. One of the other things about hobby, um, have you guys been, been working on stuff for other systems? Um, yeah, I've been doing a little bit of Napoleonics. Um, I finally put some paint on um, some Blood Red Skies uh, Spitfires. So uh, with uh, with a new lady in my life, I spent a bit of time, uh, a two-hour drive from away from home. Um, so I've taken a little hobby bundle down there, and that's my goal. I take a squad or a unit and just work on that and nothing else when I'm there while she's at work. Um, and then I'll return that home and then take the next one. So... Uh, Six uh, Spitfires are on the cards for the next two days while uh, she's at work and I'm uh, at home due to being on night shift. Other than that, uh, I'm itching to get into my Cruel Seas starter box and, and get that up and running because, um, yeah, that's really got me fired up. Yeah, nice one. Um, in terms of other systems, uh, it, as you can see from uh, the room we're sitting in, I've been working on uh, Dark Angels historicals. Um, well, as you guys can see, <laughs> I'm just saying. It's like the, just, the listener is like, "What is like? Psychic, what? Psychic, <laughs> is there just picture in your mind, eyes. Some very nicely painted. I believe they're Normans. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Picture some very nicely painted Normans sitting in front of uh, the recording suite, um, if you can. Yeah. So, so just trying to branch out from uh, from painting baby poo to painting horses, which are often brown and baby poo like baby poo colours. As well, just just for the sake of something different to uh, to do as well. 
for sure. So I've been, um, I've actually, I have been playing some Age of Sigma. Actually, I've gotten back into it. I said, said I'd, I'd never get back into, you know, I'd never play a Games Workshop game again because I was so betrayed at the end of um, Eighth Edition. Mm. Oh, the Rage of Sigma. Um, oh, it's. But uh, no, I've got a bunch of mates who have been playing again. Um, I've joined. I've been doing some uh, some po- podcasting on it as well. Um, went down to Bendigo about a month or so ago um, for a tournament. Came third, which was fun. Um, and gearing up for CanCon, which has tw- 220 right. players. But it seems like the, there's now some some serious competition in that space that uh, that Warhammer vacated when they blew up the world, uh, and that other people are moving in. So Warlord has just announced this week that they are doing a skirmish fantasy game. Mm. Um, yeah, yep. Um, yep. Seems uh, quite interesting. It works off a bolt-action type system. Um, which would be quite interesting to see how that translates to a fantasy game. Mm. And the the news is as well that um, Studio Tomahawk, who do uh, muskets and tomahawks and Saga, um, which all of this Dark Ages stuff is for, are going to adapt their rules for a, a generic fantasy well, environment doesn't as well. does the main rulebook have a lot of pictures yeah. that are fantasy-orientated as well with miniatures? Yep, so that the fantasy universe will be out in the new year um and and that's that's a cool mechanic it'll be interesting to see what they do and obviously we had mantic uh trying to enter that space a few years ago uh with kings of war yeah for sure kings of war definitely when um eighth edition died they tried to fill that hole um and didn't get as much traction as they would have liked apart from initial boost but yeah, so that's what we've been doing in the hobby. Um, but like, I've got to say, after this event, um, it's really gotten me like inspired again. I want to um, start doing some more work because you know sometimes you go through those um, ebbs and flows of like motivation. Yeah, very much. Um, Absolutely, th- things come up in life, and you you know you got to prioritize things. But yeah. certainly, um, just being more immersed in the hobby again over the weekend um, on that, that that aspect of things has got me keen again. Mm-hmm. So, shall we have a talk about Conquest Europa? Absolutely. So, Rubes. Yeah. yeah. What, t- tell us about it. You're the TO. Yeah, yeah. First time TOing. So, uh, long time player, first not first time TOing. Um, thanks to you guys giving me a bit of that sort of nudge in the right direction. Um, I gave dipped my toe in the water of TOing. Um, Lockie was, uh, was quite... Uh, pivotal in making some connections for me to to get a venue sorted and uh, and so forth um oh, for, for sure and i'll just i'll just stay, say now we um it, it was run at good games melbourne yeah, yeah um, good venue they're a great great central venue with um great space great staff um so if you're if you're from melbourne um as we are like we we really recommend you supporting them because they're they're just they're really good at supporting us yeah they're very positive about us running an event there um especially me being first time toing relatively new on the scene um they were really quite supportive which was was really good um we ended up with 14 players i set a hard cap at 20 um i didn't want to overdo my first event and have 30 40 players and have no clue what i'm doing um as it was we ended up with 14 which i was quite happy with for a first time event uh the basic premise was Axis versus Allies. Um, and as luck would have it, I had 14 players who neatly divided themselves up into two teams. 
without me having to do any juggling or coercion to get anyone to swap sides. Though, in hindsight, at the time, I thought, well, we do have someone running Italians, so they could go either way, depending on, on how the uh, the sides formed up. Now, that, that was really interesting about how the sides formed up on the um, Axis and Allies side. I, I was really interested to see that we didn't have any American players. No, no. Well, initially when... Um, we were at, sitting at 13 players. I thought I was going to have to throw in a Gumby list. I was actually designing an American list to throw in. And I decided if I end up on the Axis side, they're uh, the infiltrators rather than the actual mm-hmm. uh, Yanks rolling through. Um, but, yeah, everyone decided a late player came in and balanced up sides, which was quite nice. But, yeah, the, the forces were largely German versus Soviet. Uh, yeah, we, we almost had an, a, a full Eastern Front campaign day. Pretty much. Um, with, with some Aussies and some Ethiopians. Well, there, there, um, there, was, only two, in. there <laughs> was only two armies that weren't... And, there's, weren't and, the, and the Sikhs. Three. There was three, okay, three. three armies. But that three out of Soviet 14. Germany. But then the rest were, yeah, either yeah. Soviets yeah. Or, uh, yeah. or Russians, which is... Oh, sorry, Soviets or um, Germans, which is quite thematic. Yeah, so um, the basic premise was you won a game, you got a point for your side, um, and the side that had the most points at the end of the day basically took Europe, so to speak. Um, I added a mechanic in for grudge matches. I wanted to add a little bit more element of danger and risk and make it something special. So uh, if you challenge someone to a grudge match, if you won against them, you stole a point. Instead of just getting a point for your side, you actually stole a point for uh, for your team. So it became a two-point switch around. I believe Lockie was the only one for the day to actually successfully steal a point from... Uh, was, I, was I really? Oh, I didn't one. know that. Yep. Oh, I'll take that as a moral victory. Second second round, there were two grudge matches. And, and they both went the other way? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. So you made it so that um, uh, the, the, the person who, who threw down the grudge... Um, was the attacker in point defence, and as we all know, it is a di- like it's a difficult scenario yeah, to play. Yeah. I wanted to add that extra um, difficulty to it because it was a bigger reward. Not only were you getting a point, you were taking a point from the opponent. So it really, I wanted to balance out what you got for it with uh, with the risk you took. So no, I thought it was a it was a nice touch. the The only re- thing is, uh, um, after playing it the first round, I didn't want to grudge someone again because I didn't want to play that same mission. Just because I wanted some variety. Yeah. Um, yep. But otherwise, just playing that one one well, round of it was something a really I've, fun. I've been thinking about in future is looking at each round. If you grudge, depending on which round you grudge, uh, a different uh, mission for that grudge match for each round. So if you grudge the first one, it might be point defense. And if you grudge in the second one, it might be it'll be something different. Yeah, but, around. so you can sort of stagger your grudges. Absolutely, and there's there's, a, there's a, what six scenarios or whatever in the book in the book that 12, are twelve. No, uh, but there's six oh, that six are attack um, that attack the yeah. defender. So yeah, you could easily balance that out. One one of the observations I I made from the the end result, and particularly thinking about that uh, event that we had around the middle of the year which was also a um, Axis and Allies um, sort of themed campaign day. Again, the Germans just got smashed. Yeah, well, the, uh, the end result for this one, and I have my trusty little record book here, we did end up with an overwhelming Allied victory of 14 points to 7. Just yeah. like in real life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm sort of curious to, to get a sense of what, what you guys think was the the driver there was it the lists or um what what do you think was was has been behind that we've seen two two events 
now where and it was largely soviets as as well in that last one that the, just steamrolled the yeah, the germans for, out. for the axis side i think there's a proliferation of german miniatures out there your lesser axis powers aren't as common um you do have a lot of games now uh, a lot of games companies bringing out um like there's romanians and hungarians out there now uh, of course japanese are out there but it doesn't seem to be a very popular or very no, often run army no no one really plays japanese you occasionally get one one um player at a tournament running japanese but, but my, my my theory me. about <laughs> my theory about us. this yeah. is is it's putting too many points into big tanks yeah look, that that's the thing i mean we discussed it at one of the at one of the games you were having about the uh, the Jagdpanther and how many points were involved in the, some of the German bigger tank destroyers. I mean, I think was it the Jagdpanther or you, you're dropping yeah, four hundred points Jug, into a Jagdpanther. Yeah, um, no, that, that's the Jag Tiger is the the absolute monster, but yeah. the, the Jagdpanther is not significantly not cheap by any means cheaper. compared to Allied um, tank destroyers. Yeah, look, I think it's interesting, um, and like obviously this is just a small sample size to, um, for a tournament. Um, so like making any drawing any uh, drawing any conclusions uh, is probably problematic. But I think you know like it's a it's a mix of between different things, as you said. Um, the German players taking you know the big armor. Like there was a few tigers running around a, a jag panther, um, etc. Um, but also like with the four Soviet lists, like Soviet lists are really strong. Um, and I think they match. They typically will match up well against the German army um, because they will have the the anti tank capabilities to actually deal with the the said um, armor that the Germans are bringing. Yeah, yeah. And interestingly enough, I mean, I didn't see any straight. There were no straight Soviet infantry hordes. Um, there was a lot of AT. JL said you had what three anti-tank rifles. Oh, I, I was I was running pretty close to being a horde. Um, that was five ten five ten or twelve man squads in there with the Ziz, three AT rifles, and the ISU one fifty two. Was it you that I saw swarmed a tank with anti-tank yeah. grenades? Thirteen men with anti-tank grenades. That was that was. Did, epic. did you conscript, get it? Conscript riflemen. Yeah. AT grenades. Yeah, it was that was epic. So one of one of the other things I did during the the event was I wanted to encourage what I like to call Hollywood play. So epic events, crazy crazy um, events that you're just doing for fun. Like you know, um, and that was one of them. Was was swarming a tank with thirteen conscripts with with uh, anti-tank grenades. It's something you'd see in like a Hollywood blockbuster or, you know, Saving Private Ryan. And um, so I gave out uh, 40 mil objective markers based on what side you're on, Axis and Allies. Um, I had a nice little silhouette and a, and a star on one and a cross on another. And if you did a Hollywood event or, uh, and it had to be agreed on by your opponent as well, you got the opposing army's token. So I had extras, um, mm-hmm. just as a bit of an incentive to, have a bit of fun with it all and just just do something crazy or different just to have a good time. Um, I didn't run a podium uh, for that reason as well. I just wanted a casual, easy gaming day where there's, there wasn't a lot of pressure on winning every single game or 
you know, making the biggest game-winning moves you can, but just having a bit of fun. Oh, absolutely. And I want to touch on that as well because I think the last three events in Melbourne have been run like that, um, like kind of more um, narrative style or more casual in um, where there's no podium, there's no real, like, there's incentive to win because, like, you want to, you know, make a game of things, but it's not, like, it's not cutthroat. And frankly, like, it's ma- making for such a better environment at... Um, like at the gaming day absolutely i agree and and i'll i'll delve into that a little bit more in the sense that um it makes each game more enjoyable just just in the game itself because you're we're not playing for sheep stations obviously um but also it means that the lists that people play are not meta lists we're not playing to the meta to try and get on the podium you're not taking every loophole and exploit you see more interesting stuff being put on the table um i i think it just makes for a much much better atmosphere for sure and i think typically like we a lot like most people would do that as well like they wouldn't be trying to play cutthroat but it it really just decent like it's we've always been searching for that thing that pushes this community to the next level in terms of like really taking it like it's a gaming day it's not um we're not trying to, you know, kick the shit out of someone. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's, it's a it's a day to go roll dice and play toy soldiers with some some decent blokes. Yeah, and, and, and ladies, if you if you're out there, more than welcome to our events. I mean, yeah, yeah, bring bring it. We'd love to love to see that. Please come. We need some diversity. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> my, my niece is working on a French army, which she will bring to an event sometime in the near future. Hopefully. Oh, good. No, that- and, and you know, particularly at this this time of year, everyone's got a lot of shit on their plate. It's Christmas time. If if your work is anything like mine, you're wrapping up all of the deals for the end of the year. Um, playing a cutthroat event is probably not really what you want to be no, doing no, in you've, December. You've, you've got everything else on your mind. The last thing you need is going. Okay, if I move my tank here, am I going to get it blown up and lose the game, or am I going to win and take the podium? Mm. So um, that was the last thing, especially being the last event for the year so to speak um, I just didn't want that high pressure or high stakes type thing uh, I wanted to keep it light and fun um, I went like that I, I didn't go for I didn't give out um, uh, plaques or anything for Best Painted or Hannah Swagger or anything I actually and my mate Waggers from Miniature Scenery came up with this idea for me I had, I gave out medals instead um, something different something fun everyone looked at it and went oh wow that's that's cool I, and different. I just looked at that and I made that muttly noise you <laughs> <laughs> put that pin that medal on me yeah so, <laughs> and I did see a couple of people that got uh, medals uh, wearing them at the end of the event they did pin them on and were walking around with their medals so it was kind of it was kind of rewarding to see that actually paying off so no I thought it was great um, so I, I might uh, just start running through my list um, as we might me and JL might do a couple of uh, some battle reports um, so I mean I, I wanted to take the French um, but I, as, as I said I couldn't get them up to particularly the, the higher points level at 1231 I just I just couldn't um, make it happen so I, I fell back onto the Australians which I realize as well is at 1231 doesn't work very well either because I just it's I think the most I'd played was 1,100 points and then, like, I really didn't have anything else to, uh, like, units to actually put, add in there. So, what I decided to do was I took, um, 
I'd always been looking at the indep- uh, independent company rating party, which is like Kanga Force and like those kind of like the super commandos, not just like, you know, like the regular commandos or whatever. Um, now, these guys start at like 100 points for five models or something and you can buy them a shitload of upgrades. Um, you can buy them the local scout, um, uh, which allows them to outflank on either side. You don't have to write down, which is quite handy, but it's now, expensive. You, you took that and did you actually use that... That those outflank advantages that you the tricky shit that you get from that unit did did you feel at the end of the day that you had capitalized on the, those advantages no certainly not um and i think that's because like wh- when you outflank you probably should have it um be going in with a plan anyway like you you, you say oh i'm, I'm going to go for that objective or i'm going to um you know you stack one flank and then go on the other side or you leave one side vulnerable and you and your, your plan is to have your reserves to come on and, and you know surprise um the, the enemy so while the flexibility is nice I, I, it's certainly not worth like the 40 points you play for pay for that um local scout Basically, what I ended up doing was it was a 13-man unit of veterans, um, and it weighed in at 286 points, which was uh, pretty outrageous. But frankly, I, need, I, I think I needed to do that because um, I didn't have the points. Um, like, I didn't have big t- these big tanks that the Germans are running around with to soak up points. Um, and, yeah, so anyway, I, I, br- I brought that unit... Then with the rest, pretty much my um, standard Australian army, which with a b- bunch of jungle division bros. Um, did, did you have the howitzer in this one? Yeah, I had the light howitzer, yep. made in mortar, had a machine gun, had a bring Cause, gun. Because I've looked at looked at that that army over the last year as as you've been playing it, and sort of thought about you know it's it it's really punchy at lower points because it's quite elite and it gets a lot of special rules, but scaling it up starts to become tricky in in terms of your list building because no, I, I think uh, absolutely i think that's certainly the case and i think um this is the problem that tristan had as well when he was playing the partisans he was playing them at the high points level and because they don't have um those those more expensive options um like uh, like you know proper tanks and maybe not like the super like the, the real heavy tanks but just like normal tanks <laughs> to um fill up those points you kind of run out of things to spend points on well and, and you almost have to um it pushes you towards doing a second platoon uh and then you st- get it in that that whole dynamic about a oh, second officer second set of two troops it, mm. it becomes quite fiddly to absolutely and you get the sometimes uh, you, you do get re- some redundancy i guess out of it but like i think it becomes too much redundancy um the other issue i had was um when i was writing the list i, I, I kind of had an idea of um what was going to go in it but it turns out that the independent rating ca- uh, party um doesn't come in um the jungle division theater selector which threw threw me around a little bit more Anyway, I, I, came, I came out with the list. I knew it wasn't, um, you know, like all efficient or anything, but it didn't didn't worry, worry me too much because that was the kind of um, uh, event it was. 
But then it did worry me when I came up against Hari's Tiger in the first first round, and I had nothing to deal with it. So normally against Armour Nine tanks, um, I can. It's a lot easier for me to deal with because I'll, I'll be sending the mortar and the howitzer into yeah, ranging might, in. You might roll three sixes with your uh, your howitzer, your mortar. That's right. On a on an Armour Nine vehicle. Oh, take it off! No, so um, I mean. It's not just it's not just about damaging them. It's just about be, being able to do the pins. But because it, because the tiger's armor ten and can just um, well a can't like, literally can't hurt it, but b um, will just get rid of the pins on a four plus. It's just yeah that 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 fifty percent chance to just shrug it off. Um, it makes such a difference, yeah. and and it doesn't help when you put your officer right in front of the tiger, so the howitzer can't actually take a shot too. I believe. Yeah, so that was an issue. <laughs> <laughs> Typical officer, busy reading a map in the wrong way, upside down, marching in front of oh the Oh my god! Tanks. So, oh, he, so what was the story with the medic? Oh, what, so what no, the so poor medic do? we're playing playing point defense, and Hari sets up his tiger like you know in a pretty aggressive position on a road, and turn one just drives it up into the middle of the board and says deal with it and while he's doing that he look at me i was like and i was like what am i gonna do there's nothing like what am i i'm gonna shoot it with a pit like shit <laughs> that was like really my only option um and no and turn one so he does that and he breaks the geneva convention shoots off my medic full pelt tiger is he allowed to do that i thought you couldn't shoot a medic you can do it Oh, yeah, and he yeah. did. Okay. <laughs> he took it off. He, he had no intention of shooting the um, the jungle division squad ne- next to it. He's just like, no, I'm ki- killing that medic. It's like, all right, Harry, no worries, mate. Um, he he I guess, does have a thing about having to kill all medics. I guess it's dead. Yeah, he's a sick man. <laughs> <laughs> to, to be fair, though, you did in response. All those medical experiments they did on him have so, just scarred him for yeah. life. So it, basically that um, game, um, it was a really fun game. There wasn't a lot of cover in the center for me so there was three buildings on the table but there were so this was your um table jl it was a really lovely table there was three buildings on the table and they're all kind of on the edges like and um which meant there wasn't a lot of line of sight blocking terrain which meant that every one of my units was always in line of sight of that tiger taking tiger fear checks and oh my god did it make a difference that's an interesting thing because um you know, even as a German player, I had always forgotten about Tiger Fear. Use error. I would play the whole game and then go at, the, at in turn five. Oh, there's that thing called Tiger Fear. Never, never used it in in my favor. Uh, and it wasn't until game three this weekend where I came up against another German player that had a uh, Jagdpanther, um, and I was like, "Oh shit, this is actually a real problem." Um, now that that table is built with the assumption that you're pushing for that bridge that's that's in the middle of it, and that, yeah, that's so the, there's a, there's a river the running focus. down the um, the width of it with a yeah um, a bridge in the centre, um, but it just meant there was like there wasn't a lot of heavy cover around either. There was like there was some uh, that, walls, that but they were soft depend cover. About like how you how you play the trees, though, as well that. Um, I tend to play that that table that you can't shoot through the trees unless you're in it. Yeah, right. We and didn't that does that do does actually game. increase the density of the terrain on that because the way that I set it up, there's an awful lot of those bases that have three or four trees on them, mm. um, and I design uh, built those in operating under the assumption that um, you can't 
see what's on the other side of it, so therefore you can't shoot it. Yeah. No, I gotcha. To be fair, though, too, Lockie, I mean, you did shoot Hari's dog. I did. No, he's, he had a dog cha- model. Old yeah. yellow. Yeah. Got taken out um, the back of the... Hari was running a chaplain in his in his force, um, which was represented by a uh, German shepherd. And uh, Lockie... Uh, no, that was a goat, wasn't it? The the I didn't shoot the chaplain. I shot his um his officer. His officer had a had a dog with him. Ah, uh, yeah. And I it, shot that. that, and he did not put like his his officer did not die in front of that bullet for the dog. So really, it's Harry's well, fault. Isn't speaking it? of livestock, I didn't manage to finish painting it in time, but I have a great big bear carrying a Soviet flag that was going to be an objective oh, marker. Uh, I think it might have been Ivan was actually running a bit, be- had a bear in his army. Oh, did he yeah, really? Right. Yep. Uh, well, yeah, you beat me to Amazing. it. Amazing. Nah, so because there was spent- one, Wojciech, Vo- but he, yeah. was, he, was, he was a Polish bear. Yeah, yeah, carried ammo in Italy, I believe. From, yeah, from they, and he walked all the way from, uh, all the way to Iran and then back yeah. to Italy. <laughs> So I've been looking at those photos of of like bears with the Soviet army. They're not real, are they? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> because some of them look pretty fake to me. Anyway, off to Gulag. <laughs> Question: Patriotic bear. <laughs> so no, look. Long story short, I spent the whole game chasing bloody Hari's tiger around with my howitzer. Didn't get a like. It got one single shot. Um, because it just it because couldn't get a shot. Was well, one the turn time. the officer was in, um, the tiger was going around buildings and the stomach is, you know, I place it poorly. Um, but foolishly, he sent up his veterans up the m- middle of the board rather than keeping them on the, on the objectives in his backfield. Um, and I was able to steal the win by bringing on 286 points of, <laughs> of veterans on, on outflank and st- stealing an objective and whatnot. And what, what did they do? Just... Take the objective, or did they, they killed, kill they, they 280 killed, points worth of? No, they killed a unit of um, of veterans. You like dogs? veterans. <laughs> I, I like dogs. <laughs> no, I think it was. What ki- oh, I'm trying to think of what just, killed his dog. I think it was my brain. Just no. Hurry, um, actually messaged me yesterday. Today, he's actually looking for a dog model to act as a spotter for one of his snipers now. Yeah, like that classic meme of the dog sitting there with this with this the uh, spotter scope <laughs> going. I see the cat, shoot it. He's actually going to be uh, modelling that up. It, it'll develop soon. It'll be on Watership Down. It'll be like <laughs> the rabbits, rabbits everywhere. <laughs> oh General Woundwort. Do, do you know what Watership Down mm. is, Lockie? It, yeah, the rabbit book. Yeah, I did read yeah. it. No, and I'm it was that really traumatic film was that was like the most like film? grim children's film. Yeah, it was film an animated ever. film back oh. in the late seventies. So he's read Watership Down, but he's never seen Ghostbusters. How the fuck have you never seen Ghostbusters, Lucky? I was born in the nineties. Deal with it. I'm sure Ghostbusters. <laughs> it was on TV last week. And Ghostbusters. Two I don't own the TV. Oh no. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna find it one of those like bargain basement DVD. Two dollar sales, and I'm going to buy it for you just so you can watch it. How am I going to watch it though? I don't have a TV. Oh, I'll find you on, a DVD. Your, on the on your computer. <laughs> Is it on you Netflix? Put the, <laughs> you put the DVD in your computer DVD drive. No, they don't make them with DVD does anymore. What? Yeah, Why? I know. Outrageous. Jo, tell me about your first game. Okay, so first game was interesting because it was me playing my new Soviet list against. Um, a list which was not very far off my veteran SS list that I would would usually play. Um, Who so did you play? 
Uh, that was... I think that it was, was Ben, was Ben, ben Lo- Lowellen. Yes. Old mate Ben. Old mate Ben. Um, so it was, it was quite odd playing um, something so close to the way that I would, would build out that list. So he, what did he have in there? He had a Stug, um, regular Stug. There was maybe three or four squads of veteran tooled up veteran infantry assault rifles the the works yeah um a couple of support units there was a uh a, the recon half track with the 20 millimeter cannon in there but it was only running 10 or 11 dice to my 16 so um it was interesting looking at the the different way that that played out about I, I can lose units and just keep coming at you, you know. Um, so we were, we were playing um, in that first mission. It was, it was um, just straight up kill points. Um, he sort of tried to force the flank on one side of the table. Um, and I sort of diverted most of my stuff to deal with that. But I still had enough relatively inexpensive units but still serviceable enough to take care of his stuff on the other side which was the the half track um an mg team just just odds and sods yeah but keep picking off those small units the the weak targets um it turned into a bit of a melee um over on the the side where we were all piling in um, the Hollywood moment, though, was uh, the point-blank uh, duel yeah. <laughs> between the, the two assault guns. Um, the ironic thing being that if either of us had have been slightly to one side, but w- because we were on a road, we were just... Pretty much nose to nose. Nose to nose and um, no turrets, so we couldn't go either side and I rolled ones and missed and uh, he, he pinged me. Oh really? But in the end that um, the the fourth the weight of attrition uh, just just really told told on that. Oh, yeah and I think that's where I where I, di- I mentioned before that the Soviets just have that good match up against the the Germans a lot of the time because they, they do just have that um, the, the die superiority, the unit superiority. I, mean, and so I, I was able attrition. to uh, I I foolishly lost the flamethrower team and the veteran tough fighter naval infantry squad. You know, I tried to push them in the truck up the road and get them out, but they got shot up in the truck. Yeah, and, I think you ran they, into a couple of machine gun teams in yeah, particular, didn't you? Yeah. And they all died, <laughs> which sucked, but there was still enough stuff there. Keep there pushing was forward. The two guard squads... Um, anti-tank rifles there was just enough shit to keep killing them off faster than than there was anything to to replace them with uh or to to kill my stuff in return Mm. so you got the got the win on that one yeah yeah that that was that was a pretty substantial win in the end um it was close in the middle of the game um but once i was able to move the the stuff that I had coming up the middle onto the left flank and and uh, where all the action was, it, it just really told mm. in the end. And the advantage as well that, uh, you know, we were both running assault guns, 
so his stug wasn't able to turn the turret around and shoot <laughs> at all the stuff that was happening behind it. He would have had to have reversed for at least one turn and then just really awkward maneuvering through these lanes and and should have paid that yeah. what extra five or ten points for the Panzer Four. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> would have solved all of his and problems. The Tiger Fear would have been. Yeah. Well, no, we uh, for this one we implemented that uh, Tiger Fear wasn't going to be affecting uh, or in force for Panzer Fours. Now, so. when when, you, when when we brought that in though, was that with the idea that it would be all Panzer Fours or only the late ones that logically should have it? Yeah, well, that was the thing. There's there's a bit of an oddity with the list that uh, I can't remember where the division line is, but two of the the marks of the Panzer IV are almost identical. One gets Tiger Fear, the other one doesn't, and they're the almost exact same shape design. There's only something very minor in it from memory, um, and I, but is it because of the timestamp of it? I'm guessing so, yeah, is the reason we've done it. But But I think what we ended up doing with that ruling was, you know, like Panzer IVs just shouldn't have Tiger Fear in bolt action. Like maybe you can um, draw some um, conclusions or whatever from it, like in a historical sense, but... They're just too good with Tiger yeah. Fear. Like they're a very yeah. good tank already. Um, like they're 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 efficient for their points. Um, as a T thirty four eighty five. The, the idea of bringing in Tiger Fear was to encourage people to bring the big cats, which we all knew were overcosted, mm. and um, and it was a mechanism to um, open that up without having to rewrite the points value in yeah, the in yeah. the list. Yeah, giving it to the to the Mark Four was probably. Um, hasn't solved that problem because no, no. everyone's crunched the numbers and gone the best Ooh. value is the Panzer, Panzer IV. Panzer IV, forget the Tiger or the Panzer, I'm running a Panzer IV. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And we didn't see any Panzer IVs, did we, at, at the event? No, I don't think there was, um, which was interesting. Um, Lightest thing I saw was the um, the Stug III that, that Ben uh, was, the was Germans, running. Uh, yeah, it would have yeah. been. I didn't see um, or, or Andrew's World War One tank that he was playing, which wasn't really a tank. He was like, no, well, he, he was, was running, playing it as a. He was running. Uh, I can't remember which armored car it was, but a BA uh, something. Yeah. Well, there's yeah. a funny one. Then does the Werblewind get Tiger Fear? I was certainly afraid of it, but well, I didn't need. <laughs> it is mounted on a Panzer IV chassis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I would say no because it's such a distinctive outline that it. That thing doesn't need any no, <laughs> any no. Bonuses. The blender does not need uh, need uh, oh, boosting Jesus. anymore. Fuck me, that thing did a number. Yeah. Well, actually, in the end, it didn't. It 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 killed the naval squad, but I was doing the dance of the sugar plum fairy, trying to keep the <laughs> trying to keep the naval squad in behind a, a a row of trees. This is in the second game, um, but trying to maneuver close enough to assault it without getting shredded and uh, in the end I couldn't do it but it stopped it shooting at any other units so, yeah, so effectively you tied it up for the whole game by yeah. doing that anyway so yeah. that that game that second game was the the one that I lost I, I won both of my other games on the day um, that was a really hard fought one though it was a difficult um, board for me to play on because it was that was the uh the the forest one was that no, the, it was the forest oh, the forest ones the cabin in the woods as i like to call yeah it. but baba yaga's hut yes i did like that idea of making a baba yaga uh um, yeah. hut to go z solo 
hut. So for the listeners out there, the table, I basically named every one of the tables, um, and that one in particular was called Cabin in the Woods. It was simply a peasant's cabin in the middle of the table, surrounded by a shit ton of woods. And uh, so my, my thinking, you know, this being largely a Soviet versus German affair, that, uh, you know, Baba Yaga's hut on chicken legs yeah. <laughs> out in the middle of the Russian Man, woods. That 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 table, that, that was my round three. Oh, my God. It was tricky was to play, wasn't really it? Really tricky, yeah. um, particularly in sectors. But we'll get to that. Um, we'll do game two. Um, yeah. Yep. I, I uh, played. Who did I play game two? No, I played, uh, you played Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan's Italians. Yes, he's, he's Ethiopians, really. He's uh, colonial Italians, which is the first time I've seen colonial Italians on the table. That, it was such a cool army. Yeah. So they were, they were mostly um, yeah Ethiopians, and he had a had a unit of um, the outflanking Somalis um, as well. He had a couple of uh, Italian tanks. The one with um, the M13s, is it? Oh, I can't. Even, I can't remember which. My Italian what they're tanks called. aren't so good. No, but me either. But they it, they were awesome tanks. They had a light anti tank gun, um, like forward facing. Then they had a, a turret um, dual MMG on them. Um, and he was explaining to me they they quickly uh, amended those de- design flaws and and put the put the cannon on on top yeah. on the turret. <laughs> but uh, this was before that but he had so he had two of them and he had an armored car as well with another dual mmg on to it so it was a lot of a lot of machine gun action he had two howitzers i think from two houses and a mortar so it was was pretty scary and all of the all of the ethiopians were were tough fighters it was like they all had rifles and they were regular but they're all tough fighters so it was a pretty scary list actually black hawk down on you they 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 did um the australians not the americans but the australians got caught up um in in yeah it was it was interesting um so we actually yeah well what ended up hap- happening so it was oh, what's the scenario called it's the d3 plus three uh d3 plus two um objectives one um we ended up rolling up for three and the way it played out was we put um an objective basically in each corner and one in the center so it was actually like um kitty hawk down um set up which was which was cool so look i I think I was up pretty early, um, and certainly in the mid game, um, I was kind of controlling uh, where where things were going, and I was I was really uh, liking my my position. Like he, like I brought on my flankers. I had the frog and the and the big commando unit come on and really um, stuff up the guys who was um, advancing on my right flank. When he brought his uh, Somalians on. Um, I had a unit Sudanese, there. I think they are actually. Sudanese, Sudanese yep, yeah. of course. Yep, sorry, Sudanese. Um, I had a squad there ready. Like, he took off my heart, so when they came on, but I had a squad there to, um, you know, to pin them and, and take them out of the game. Um, and I think I had, you know, I had some ranging in on my on my mortar, which I was able to take off another unit. So I was looking good. Um but a couple of things didn't go well in the last couple of turns. Um, and the pivotal moment was, I think, well, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't end up holding his back objective because I didn't have enough there. He kind of whittled me down enough. And I was kind of relying too much on a medic to be able to just stay there and, and hold it in place. But he, he got some lucky shots on it and killed it. But he, he played it very well in for the center objective on the, on the last turn or the second last turn he brought up 
a unit in a truck and dump them on the, on an objective basically in cover where I couldn't um, easily pin the, uh, get them off because um, I just didn't have enough time to kill them like if I had another turn I think I would have had a shot but just in the amount of time I did I just I just couldn't do it so it ended up being a draw so we had one objective each and then the middle objective w was contested so it was a really close game um, I, I've never played Jonathan before and it was, a, it was a lot of fun I've been wanting to play him for a while um, we had a couple of uh, rules uh, disputes, uh, which was uh, we, we both. I think we both handled it fine. Um, we I think we both ended up learning some things. We both kind of proved each other wrong, um, which is which was good. We're going, we'll touch on that hopefully uh, later in the cast. Because there's a couple of uh, just rulings that um, I think players are often getting wrong, not just mm. occasionally, but commonly getting wrong. Um, but we'll touch on that later. So that, that was a draw for my for my round two. What about you, JL? Well, uh, my round two, yeah, was on that uh, forest table that we were we were just talking to, um, and I was playing Andrew. Yeah, yeah, it was Andrew's uh, dome defense mm -hmm. Germans. Yeah. Now, looking at that army to start with, I was like, oh, okay, that's kind of squishy. There's a lot of Volksturm and um, Volksgrenadier. Uh, green or uh, inexperienced units in there but because of the layout of that table I just really couldn't get at them and he played it played it very well about uh, using the cover um, the thing that really got me was um, he only had one veteran unit in there uh, one veteran SS unit but it had two Panzerfausts and he managed to run them up and Panzerfaust the 152 and it all started going downhill <laughs> from there, really. Um, yeah, it, it just it, it it didn't work out well. Um, I couldn't. I found that I couldn't bring my force to bear in the way that I would have would have liked to because of the um, blocked firing lanes across the table. Um, certainly, in, inhospitable for running trucks around mm. on that on that table. Um, you know the. The meat chopper wasn't as m as much of a problem as it could have been, but then that that uh, biz bis with the flamethrower, uh, which I did manage to kill with the um, the free free rifle squad, uh, <laughs> I was quite proud of that. You, you seem to do quite well with conscripts and uh, the, the free yeah. the free rifle squad's legit. Well, th th yeah. This was That's interesting. Thing, right? So it was coming straight at me, and I thought, well, I can stay on the objective, and he's just going to cook me. So I thought, well, the best thing to do is I will lose that objective but run straight at the next objective up the table, hopefully get shot at once by rif in inexperienced rifle fire as I come in, lose one guy, make the upgrade roll, and hopefully go up to regular. Mm. Um, but then I looked at that a bit more closely and I was like, now the flamethrower only has a 15 degree arc of fire and that kind of got stuck in this awkward position. So I turned the rifle squad around and ran them back and assaulted that uh, flamethrower tank from the arc of fire that it couldn't hit me from. And because there was 12 of them with the anti-tank grenades, it actually killed it <laughs> pretty flat. The, the only thing that disappointed me about that game, JL, is that twice you took out vehicles with guys with anti-tank grenades, and not once did I hear Zarojna as you went in. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think I, w- I was just so preoccupied by doing the, the dance of death with the, uh, the meat blender <laughs> over in the corner and thinking if that, if that gets anywhere near the rest of the stuff, th- this is all over. So um, it, none of the AT rifles could quite do what I wanted to do with it, which was just to keep it pinned to the point where the... Um, surviving because it's open topped um mm. the the surviving um soviet marines could assault it and hopefully get, get rid of get, it, a, yeah. get rid of it um and we were really just doing this weird dance around the the trees um and because w- because of what we'd agreed about the way that the trees work as terrain that was proving quite a difficult sort of exercise to do and subsequently also I couldn't get into combat with his green um, Volkssturm units because I, I knew they would they would just crumble when it when it goes but because of the mission that we were playing as well it w- that wasn't a big deal either you know um, they they just had to ho- stand there and hold uh, their objectives we weren't worried about who was killing more stuff than than anything else so um they were being whittled down and and breaking from sniper fire and and you know other things but not enough to get them off the off the objectives um yeah so that was game two uh you got the win no no that was a loss lost the second game yeah gotcha nice so rubes what we how are we looking going into round three Round three, uh, I was doing a running tally of the scores. Um, by that stage, Allies had a clear uh, lead of 8.5 to 4.5. I was basically awarding draws half a point to each player. Um, so at that stage, I think uh, you're looking at uh, one, and, one and a half points uh, as a tally, I think, at that stage, Lockie. And... Um, would have been two and a half, wouldn't it? If I if I got two points for that first first game. No, no, no. You you get a single point, but oh, it comes okay, from yeah. the opponent's tally. Yeah, gotcha. So um, you actually put the uh, access into the negatives in the early stages of the tournament, which was Ooh, uh, yeah. interesting. And uh, yeah, JL by the end of the second round was sitting on a single point, but um, pipped you at the end by uh, by round three, which uh, oh really nice little yeah, segue yeah, there boy. into round three. Oh, look, round three was a bit of a disaster for me. I played it on that on this uh, this table um, the jail played on um, with the, the one building and then just lots of trees, but, like, they weren't that big. Like, the, the, like they, were, they were blocking line of sight and everything, but, like, the bases weren't completely big, so they're hard to hide things behind yeah, the, properly. The bases for those are all CDs. Uh, that's the, yeah. one of my tables. I uh, have looked, jail's trees there. It looked really cool. Um, but it's hard to like it's easy to hide something behind them if what's shooting you is stationary but it, you if you're hiding a squad behind them the the other the, the opponent just needs to move around a little bit to be yeah, able to see yep. one model and then they can shoot it and it's only soft cover um, and that's what really got me so I was playing uh, I'm might mis- mispronounce his name but is, is it Ramon yeah yeah Ramon. Ramon? Now, Ramon's a really nice guy. He was talking to me about um, all, all of his 40K stuff, like his massive collection. Um, and he's been playing a little bit of bold action as well, um, which is cool to see. Uh, now, he was running a German list with another bloody tiger. Oh, my God. Um, 
and it was to be honest i was looking at the list and i was i thought it's not that it's not that strong um and typically I'd, i wouldn't have a problem doing it um and when he said that he'd gotten a couple of wins i was i was surprised um and i was like good on him he's obviously played well to get it um but he he had a couple of hannah mags he had four units of veterans he had a um a Nebelwerfer or a whatever uh, the the bigger version is the, the howling cow the ha- no, the Neverwerfer was the little one. The Neverwerfer yeah, yeah. was the big. Yeah, it was the Neverwerfer. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Because I, yeah. I brought up that video of my reenactment yeah, group right. firing off the Neverwerfer. Yeah, um, and did it worth Nebel? So he had. Oh, he certainly did. <laughs> so he had like nine dice or something, um, and I thought, you know, like this isn't going to be too hard. It was also round three, so I kind of didn't think too much about my um, deployment. So we we're playing sectors, so he only deployed in. Um, one quarter, which isn't a lot of space. Um, when I've got fourteen units, I re- uh, there was no outflanking. That's why I didn't why I did this. But I really should have put some stuff in reserves. Um, there was no first wave or anything, but I should have put some stuff in re- reserves because what ended up happening was I was too um, congested, basically in 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 one part of the board um, with not a lot of cover um, apart from that one building that all of my army is trying to like kind of stay on the other side of from his army so he's set up right right across from me um with the tiger and the two hannah mags and a couple of units of um veterans just basically sitting there and going come at me and it was a pretty scary prospect considering he has tiger fear so it was extra scary what ended up happening early was um my, my a few of my units were kind of moving on to uh you know up my right flank to get onto his uh, into the neutral zone and he had a couple of units moving into my left flank to get into the neutral zone so we're kind of like even there um, but I was try- kind of trying to push up um, he, he missed a couple of shots with his tiger into my uh, f- my frog which was really nice of him to do <laughs> um, uh, but then it started getting really uh, really painful when his ha- uh, Nebelwerfer started going off against so did, did he hit you with that those rolling sixes he did uh, yep he was oh. because well because all my because i was an idiot and i placed so well I, I didn't put stuff in reserve so all my stuff was bunched up um and the first turn maybe two he couldn't actually see anything because of the trees um we're blocking his line of sight but then while, as soon as he started being like being able to see me he could like he might be able to just see my frog and he, he kept shooting at that he didn't hit the frog but oh but god he hit everything it. else yeah because <laughs> when, when you when you're using those multiple launches what what i've found is um the best thing to do is target a building because it's got such a big footprint oh, yeah, and then you hit everything within six inches yep. of the building you don't even worry about it doesn't matter what happens to the building but mm. it's just being able to spread that that hurt oh it was rough oh, I think yeah. he, he shot off my Piat um, first then he shot off I think he hit my uh, my officer which um, was next to my veterans who had already taken a bunch of casualties um, so he put the template over both of them fair play whatever and so killed all that um, I think he killed he must have hit another squad as well so I reckon he killed four squads with that's his horrifically bad luck because yeah, I've epic. had it happen that's a, that's where a, I've, I've had this enormous bunched up thing and I've rolled ones for 
to wound. I've hit them all and just rolled ones to wound the well, lot. You know what I'm going to do after hearing this? I do have a Neverworth sitting at home, so I'm going to be painting that bad boy up as soon as take, I can. Take now. it or Helen <laughs> Cow. Oh, yeah, got to work that Neville. I think they're good, um, particularly if you deploy, like, a, like if you're up against someone who deploys like a spud like I did. Um, so did? between the Neverworth for taking off my toys... So the ha- yeah, the Nebelwerf for taking off my toys, and he had a bunch of um, machine guns and stuff just aiming down the line, taking anything off that was advancing, and and that's where the trees are just no good because the soft cover is just is not enough. And he w- were, were you playing that you could fire through the trees onto something on the other side? Well, if you could see them. So if you can, as I as, as I said before, if you can draw a line of sight to one of the models, right? So if you if you sneak around, like, so you might deploy... Um, yeah, or okay. position yeah, your models you. yep. around them, but then if you, if you move slightly to the right or the left and you can draw yep. a line of sight mm. to one model... Then you can shoot the entire squad, obviously, and it's only soft cover. Mm. So you're likely hitting on sixes or fives, even if you're moving. And he was he was hitting a lot on sevens as well. And he was he was actually making those hits, but because he had so many shots, he had a lot of like rifles and, and LMGs and stuff in his veteran squads. And the the Hannah Mags had machine guns, which normally aren't very good, but they did some work. Just 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 dropping pins on stuff, killing just killing my small unit. So he he did well in terms of the target priority. So I was I was down and he kind of moved up his tiger um, and I flamethrowed it off with my with my frog. I believe that which, got you one of the uh, Hollywood moment tokens, didn't it? It did. Oh, yeah. it was it was <laughs> nice and it was, he I did, he was really standoffish and I thought oh he knows what's going to happen if he if he brings it close and he brought ended up you know turned three or four brought it closer and I was like this is my chance move move forward because I was playing really cagey with it obviously um, and yeah took it off and he's like shit I didn't realise that was what, what was going to happen I was like oh well so then it, I think the frog killed four units or three units and damaged another one um, so it did a lot of work but the rest of my army did very poorly so I, I ended up losing that game on um, on on points unfortunately um, but it was a really so good that, game that's the combination of Kill points and sector points, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. So it's this. It's a bit. It's a so bit. It's tricky. very easy to get sucked into the um, managing the the sectors. But if you've lost the units by attrition, you actually yeah. lose on kill you, points. You've got to look at the bigger easily. picture all at once rather than just one aspect of the game. For sure. I also mispositioned one or two of my small units because I kind of. They're, they're the ones going um, into the sectors, and I thought, oh, you know, they're just going to get the points, and that they're out of the game. They're just, you know, back, like locking in those points. But then he he moved up, and I hadn't quite hit, hidden them or put them out of range, um, like I kind of uh, thought I had. Um, so he killed them. I was like, oh well, like that. They're just free points I've just given him because I I just didn't think about it. Um, but no, look, uh, Ramon was a lovely guy, and he he got the win. So. Last one. Well done. Where are you, Jay? Well, my my last game um, was on was on my table, um, and funnily enough, this is only the second game that I've ever played on that table <laughs> since I went to all of that bother of building it. So that that was nice to to play play on it and see how it actually works. Um, how did you I, find it? Well, I I I do actually see your your point, um, and I have this great big slab of um, high density foam in the cupboard there and I'm thinking of building some kind of rocky outcrops and hills and things that will um, 
block some of that line of sight because I, I I see now what you're you're talking about with that. It's a line of sight, and it's also I think the hard cover because like trees and like the the soft um, fences, like the the uh, yeah. thickets or whatever, like they're all good and well. They're cover, but then you need the hard cover. Oh, there's some there's, of there's it. a fair number of ruins, there, there but some, they're all around some. the edges. There were some, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, so um, I was was playing Aaron Aaron Cattle, and oh, we always have good good fun games you know i always really enjoy playing with with aaron um so he was running his list which had the yug panther um and a whole bunch of green falsham jäger in there there was i think only one veteran unit um maybe maybe the commander was 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 veteran and perhaps a flamethrower team but predominantly it was uh, it was green fj in there and uh, so we're playing sectors um, I deployed in the corner that had the church up there so I had the sniper and the mortar spotter team and the artillery spotter team up in the church tower um, just with a really commanding view over the over the field um, I pushed the uh, green rifle squad and the limber up the other side of the that. limber. <laughs> yeah. What were you doing? Absolutely. No, because we checked. We checked this. You yeah, remember? we did. Oh, we did. Really? for the victory points. Whether, yeah. whether an empty vehicle uh-huh. in this mission, and so I put it in behind a house, one of those houses in the in the edge, where nobody's going to get it. It's just going to sit there and give me that victory point. Um, Jeez, how do you get that ruled? Rubes? I, the, uh, <laughs> I, I, I can't talk. I have run a horse-drawn limber in a 1940 German platoon simply for the fact that every platoon had one. Mm-hmm. That was in... Um, yeah, but to be well, able it's, to, it's to, be able to score, di- It's an eight-point wow. dice, and <laughs> yeah. in some missions yeah. it scores. That's yeah. um, not, nothing to turn your nose up. Yeah, Jeez. yeah, no. It's, yeah. it's very good. So, anyway, on, we, we, ended up, we ended up with the... Um, on that side of the board, the, the limber in behind the house, um, the inexperienced rifle squad and the regular AT rifle in that ruined house and up in the upper story with with an aim that if any if he tries to come in down that road, there's there's something there that's gonna you know, if it's a truck or a vehicle or something, it's gonna get peppered. Um uh, I kept the I, the ISU-152 in reserve, um, and I kept the two trucks worth of um, infantry in reserve. It just turned into an absolute m- melee. In it was the, that massive uh, all-in brawl at one stage, wasn't all it? All-in brawl. There was like something like 30 miniatures in a, in a huge brawl mm. there, because um, the... The two two units came down the road in the trucks. The trucks got shot up. Shot up. Thankfully, the units piled out and didn't take a lot of pins from it. And so next turn, that was that was an all-in assault. Um, the um, veteran tough fighter naval guys started going through stuff. You know, the the Yug Panther didn't do much, but then the ISU didn't either because it was missing things at point blank. So I was curious about how the Yug Panther would go because I've never seen one on the table, um, and it is quite an imposing vehicle. Um, well, I, I, we were we were debating this about whether that was a one forty eight scale one or not. Um, I have a feeling that it actually is because mm. it was 
much bigger than a, than the panther hull footprint that I'm used to thinking of, I think, anyway. But um, re- regardless, so he, he had that pointing down the road, um, and obviously it has that... Um, uh, had it on ambush at, w- at one point. So I bought the 152 slightly out of his arc of fire and tried to bring it on, but we were just throwing a lot of lead downrange and missing, <laughs> Playing missing with everything. Um, you know, it, at the end of the game, um, both vehicles were still there. Um, he managed to pivot on the spot um, after the naval squad wiped out the uh, all of his infantry around there, and I, I ran them down that road thinking, well, I'll capitalize on... Um, getting as many guys in his home table quarter as I, as I can. Um, he pivoted on the spot. And I, w- I was almost questioning this because they were under the gun barrel um, because that, that thing has that hugely long barrel, but apparently it measures from the hull and, and it can still shoot them if they're within within that um, point-blank range. And it hit really? them and killed the whole squad. Yeah, yeah, right. It does have a forward-facing uh, um, MMG as well, mounted on, which yeah, would yeah. be feasible to say that that definitely could hit anyone hiding under the. Barrel. Oh yeah, yeah, but the it, no, well. it was it was the the high explosive yeah. shell from the the main thing, um, but by that stage, um, I I had a whole lot of units in the secondary table quarter. I had some in the third, and he didn't have anything else there though and and i think we we, we've planned to touch on this about it got to the cutoff point where it was diced down um and he did have a cup one unit that could have potentially moved across into um another table quarter from where they were sitting but i running those numbers at the end it wouldn't have swayed it dramatically it was Mm. um so the the melee almost was a distraction it just tied all that down and i had so many cheap 30 point rifle uh, anti-tank rifle teams running around everywhere um and you only have to have them in those table quarters to to tie it down but that that was it was it was a real white knuckle nail biter game I when did that spend quite a bit of time by that table in, in round three watching that um, that melee, just, as soon as I saw that big cluster, I'm like, oh, I've got to watch some of this. That was um, that was quite quite fun. Mm. Sweet Hollywood moment. Oh you. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really made me think differently about using the trucks. That, that that you you know you barrel them down the road like that. You're you're asking for trouble. It might work. It oh, just it's super, really super might not. risky. Remember that time when when your what's it the Grant or the Lee just shot all my shit up going down that road the uh no yeah it was it, it was one one of those games where oh, i was early this year and um uh, i, I uh, had uh, the Bajicon. engineers yeah the yeah, engineers yeah. in the truck and i was like no as long as you don't hit me as i go down this road that's going to be all on for young and old but no you happen to catch it no, particularly since they they were deployed on the field on the table as well rather than coming in from out flank or reserve when like, it's a lot harder to react to them. Mm-hmm. Like, if they're sitting out in the wind, like, it's <laughs> it's a little bit easier to put some pins on them, at least. Yeah, yeah. But no, I, I think in in that case, though, it, it, it hit them in the second turn when they were coming up the road. Mm. 
yeah so it, it's interesting trying to you know the the roads are a game changer if they're uncontested but if someone is trying to stop you yeah. using the road yep uh, you can get shot up really badly well, especially with trucks being a, a soft skin I mean you can take yeah. them out with a rifle squad you put a, a cheap half rifle squ- squad sitting covering a road and there's a deterrent to trucks right there yeah yeah absolutely alright so what do you reckon we take a break and then uh, we'll come back with part two let's do it sounds right. good All right, welcome back. We're all back uh, here in the hot seat, and uh, we are going to start with talking about some stuff about rules abstraction. So, Lockie, what do you think? Where, when you stand stand on the other side of of the table, and particularly with somebody that you haven't played before, what is the process that you go through about setting up? what rules apply to the terrain what 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 do you think it's important to go through and uh pick out from that well look at, um i think definitely at the start of every game you should um yeah have that, that dis- have a discussion with your opponent and cl- really classify what um all the terrain pieces are and the interactions with them because like not all terrain is 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 clear like is it going to be hard cover is it going to be soft cover and that a lot of the time that's going to be an easy discussion um in fact, most of the time it will be, but sometimes it's it's a little bit different. Um, but the the, ma- the main thing is really to classify it before you get into the game and before you've got a unit in the cover and you go, oh, um, I thought it was heavy cover, but you're saying it's soft cover, and it's like, what do you do? The, one one of the really major ones I, I find with that, particularly ha- having just recently uh, built a whole lot of terrain, is can you see through um, stands of trees what happens um, about what cover it gives you can you shoot through it on the other side of it unless you're in it yeah um, and some, some people play it is if you can only see like an inch through it or something like if you're on the edge of, of area terrain like forest or something um, I mean I, d- I don't play it like that I like to play it um, like the, the dense area terrain like you can you can't see someone on the other side of it but you can see someone in it and you can see someone if you're if you're in it and you're shooting out of it absolutely that, um, that, that's how i run it too that's, oh and, that's how and, and, the, and the thing is it. like it doesn't matter how how you do that but as long as you rule it at, at the start and you say this is how we'll play it um that, and that's so exactly it's consistent right, through it right, the rest um, of the game. i mean you might play a garage game where you know say people beginning out in the system they don't have that huge library of terrain so i I remember as a kid playing warhammer and games like that i'd put bits of uh, material down or um, books or whatever to be my terrain it was always okay so this darker green is dense woods you can't see through it and this is lighter you know green so you can see through it but it's some form of cover it really comes down to everyone has different collections um and uh, terrain library so to speak so yeah having that discussion about what is what I mean even for people that do have a huge variety of terrain it's a variety of how it's modelled I mean JL's done some fantastic and beautiful looking woods but they're different to mine mine are much more park like looking it's just time and ease of pumping them out like that I mean they still got the same footprint but they're, they're modelled differently everyone's got different skills JL's much more advanced when it comes to terrain building than I am um, so therefore, he's going to put a lot more, um, you know, rocks and features in it where 
where I don't have the skill or the time to do that. So yeah, it's very important to have that discussion. I think it's also important to um, to when when you're classifying terrain um, to really think about the the playability of it. And sometimes um, people will make terrain um, that it might not be exactly suited for bold action. It might be built for another game in mind. Um, yeah. And yeah, where, like, you might not be able to place models on things properly, or if it's, um, like, you don't. One example is you don't want too much uh, rough, rough ground on a table because then it just it slows the game down. It's not I mean, good. One, like, one thing I certainly found um, playing on on this table that I've built, you need to roll dice in a box. Um, yeah. The, the yeah. actual surface of even the flat bits is quite knobbly and bumpy and and difficult yeah. to mm. move around. But um. The, the main one that, yeah. that I, I've I, that hit me was um, particularly moving out of uh, version one into m- version two is moving from true line of sight to abstraction. Um, you know, I built and have always built uh, most of my terrain coming from fifth edition forty k, where yeah, you just get a laser pointer. If you can mm. point a laser on it, you can shoot that dude. Doesn't matter if there's a if he's sitting in a tree, if he's got his head out of that thing, you shoot his head, you know. And then different different game systems handle how that works quite differently. And if, if you really want to, and I think you should, um, try and build versatile terrain that can accommodate itself for different game systems, um, you might need to talk to people about that before you start because... You know, you might have a piece of terrain that you built it two years ago when you were playing a different game system, um, which operates on a different set of assumptions. Or well, even the know. change between the changes between version one and version two of bolt action. I mean, with the differences there, yeah. uh, terrain you built for version one functions uh, differently in version two. Yeah, absolutely, and it's things like buildings about being able to shoot through windows is is a is a good example with with snipers. You know, uh, yeah, do they get cover even though I can get a laser pointer and draw draw a line of sight directly to that unit shooting through a window? Which in version one you would say, well, yeah, you've got a telescopic sight, you can you can do that. Um, as I gather it in version two, that's not the case. It's passing through a piece of terrain even though you can draw a line through it it gives the cover safe um well typically like pretty much everything in bold action is like is like that so like if you can see you can shoot it but forests are different because like it's very hard to model um a, a forest that like is actually going to be a, be able to block on a site, and that's why you simulate it, right? Like you say, oh, it's dense. Like it counts as. Well, dense. but I, I was always con- confused by that when I've seen people that have had a piece of quote unquote mm. forest that has a great big footprint, but it only has two trees on it, yeah. and you're like, well, that's not doing very much for the suspension of disbelief. And Can't the, see the wood for all the trees. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You know, it's like uh, Macbeth. What? You know, yeah. the when Brigham Wood. <laughs> I mean, I think you've got. To, I think, like, as the as the modeler, you have to be able to balance that between like making it look like it's dense and also not being too dense. That it's unplayable. Yeah, wobbly um, model syndrome. Yeah, and all yeah. Of that stuff. Like, you need yeah. to be able to move through it. You need to be able to pick up your models yep. when you like want to move them. I mean, um, and I, I I got this fantastic book about um, building terrain for war games. Um, that g- goes into great depth 
about this, about how to build for different systems and to try and you know, just, just get it to work. Um, mm. So it looks cool, but it's still um, modular and functional in, in different gaming systems. And but I mean, it's challenging. It's mm, quite tricky. That, that's the ultimate balancing point when it comes to wargaming terrain is getting that balance between looking awesome, looking good on the table and being functional and playable. I mean, you look at any war movie, say, set in the Pacific, and they're always going through that long, dense jungle grass. Well, that that's all fine in a movie in real life, but it's very hard to model that onto a table, have it look good, and also be functional and actually serve a purpose on the table. And, and there are certainly t- tables that... Um absolutely people in the Melbourne scene would would know where many many of us have played on the Stalingrad table which is the one of the best looking tables that we we have going around the scene but it's difficult to play on because it's maybe gone a little bit too far down one one side and, and not, that, not far enough on the other and I think that was yeah. the same with um, Nick Beattie's really nice um, yeah yeah uh, Fall of Berlin board I, I've, I've only played on that once and it was really really difficult to to play on because the line of sight and the the sense of getting bogged down in these kill zones so so when i played nick on i played nick on nick's table which was uh which was nice so he's got a bunch of ruined buildings and stuff like that um and we we said at the start of the game um like as everyone should like you just discuss it you know like these buildings um like you know they're all ruined stuff but we need to play it as if they've got a footprint that kind of projects up so like they actually block line of sight Otherwise, you can just like you would just be able to see through everything because like there's like there's big holes in the buildings like that like aren't actually blocking line of sight. So anyway, that's just that's just an example. I, of, I found that table really difficult yeah. in the sense that you know you're you're playing a twelve hundred let's say for argument because it was a, a big game yeah. on there. I was playing I think Chris Peck on that table twelve hundred and something points. So there was a lot of units there very difficult to keep track of it in your mind and suddenly you're running around and this unit comes out of a building and you're like but where was that i couldn't see that i couldn't there was no way for me to keep track of where that unit was because it's three stories down hidden in this um massive of terrain and no token system or anything to mark remember your opponent has put a unit into that into that building and i I found that a few times um on denser line of sight blocking tables remember to walk around to the other side (laughs) of that table you know because i mean even in in all of the 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 origins of wargaming is something that came out of um the prussian staff training it was an exercise called Kriegspieler, mm. right? Um, and the what they used to talk about in those days was you don't know what's on the other side of the hill. In the kind of wargaming that we do, there's nothing to stop you from seeing what's on the other side of the hill other than the line of sight blocking stuff. But I get caught out with a lot of regularity because... From where I'm standing, somebody's moved something in the lee of a ruin or a building or something, and I can't see that it's there, and I've forgotten about it. Having having you run know. an event and watched 
actually had a chance to sit back and watch plays. That's very seems to be very common. We all get locked into this is my side of the table, that's your side of the table. And from from the weekend, very few people I saw would actually move from that side even to a flank to look from a flank or walk around to the opponent's side to look from the other side. I mean it's it's something we seem to have entrenched in ourselves that here's my side, this is where I am, that's your side, that's where you are. I mean, we, we, were, we were talking about that very thing, I think, on the, on the way home from that, that, yeah. that it's impossible to realistically simulate fog of war um, the way that you can do on a computer simulation on the tabletop, but you can get caught out by that by literally not just moving around and having a yeah, look on yeah. the other side. As I say, uh, recon in intelligence is everything, really, yeah, isn't it? Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, well, I, I think probably more of us probably should actually yeah have a look from the other side of the table, just even to see like your your lanes of attack from their perspective as yeah, well. Your, like, your line of sight about your artillery positions and all that kind of stuff. It's useful to be able to see what it looks like when you're looking at your side of the table. Yeah, but I, I'm really guilty of, of going... Um, I'm massively claustrophobic, and whenever we do that thing about choosing table sides, if I can have my back against the wall so that there's not people from the next table over bumping me, I will stay on Mm. that side of the table 100%. I've I've had many many games, not just in bolt action, but uh, 40k and Warhammer, where it's just a case of, I've got all these miniatures, they're already on this side of the table, I'm just going to pick this side for convenience. Oh, yeah, everyone does that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to move all my shit on that side, so I'm taking this side. Yeah, and unless it's a, a huge advantage, and realistically, when you set out the table, you shouldn't be giving one yeah, that side should be or pretty the other. Even. Yeah, unless it's a, a specific scenario or something like that. Yeah, it should be a relatively balanced table. Mm. Um yeah, well, look, what what brought this conversation up before anyway, before um like off 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 cast? was um, we had a couple of rules uh, queries throughout the day and I've kind of noticed that there's been um, there's a few rules that people are c- consistently get um, playing wrong um, which is uh, I don't know if it's a hangover from V1 or season rules or whatever um, but certainly Jonathan and I had a couple of uh, rules that we were kind of debating on the we- weekend and I, I don't normally um, go through books I like the rule book when I'm playing because I like I feel like I I know the rules pretty well. Um, I was proved wrong a couple of times, and I think Jonathan was proved wrong a couple of times, which is shows that you know no one was uh, being malicious or anything. Um, but the one I got wrong was that I didn't realize, and I always thought this rule was really was really annoying and and uh, not not realistic. But so I thought that when someone's ranging in on you and you've got to move to get get rid of the the ranging in, basically, I thought as long as you moved like half an inch or like you know you just did that little shuffle, um, you could just shake it off and because like you've moved technically, um, and uh, Jonathan uh, proved me wrong for on that one. So apparently you have to move, and it showed me in the book um, you've got to move two inches. Well, what, one um, thing where, and and. Just, just before I even start on this, I, I'm not a rules guy. I'm a hobby and history enthusiast. Um, I, I get bogged down and confused in, in much of this stuff. But the lack of an index and the lack of organization in the, the way that the rules relate to each other makes this much more confusing than it really should be. Oh, it is really hard to look up rules. It went like 
mid-game when you're like you, you don't have that much time to look for for a rule. Um, it is it's really hard to and, find. And you 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 just sort of get into this pattern where you say, well, looking at rule X, there's a logical pattern there, so therefore that logical pattern will apply to rule Y. And it absolutely doesn't. And you could almost get the sense that they started off where that logical progression from X to Y followed properly and then that unbalanced the game so they had to adjust that and it's it's really gotten out of whack. Uh, It's very moving parts that they didn't really account for. Mm, no, I, I think I think you're right um, because there's certainly uh, they really needed to do some editing and they they haven't picked that up in the new campaign well, books as far as I'm aware. <laughs> believe that there is an index that you can actually download, which I'm now intending on doing. To, oh, to really? My book, yeah, so it'll yeah. make it easier, especially for TOing. I I um, really think that we should when we do events we should hand everybody a copy of that. That index. Wow, well, I didn't know it existed. Twenty think, copies yeah. of that. Put it in the just, players pack. I think that's yeah. a good idea. Look. Yeah. So. Um, and it's interesting, TOing, especially my first event, I mean, I learned that there's a lot of bolt action that I haven't experienced yet. And it always seemed that every time I got asked a particular question about a rule, it was always something I've never run or never encountered before. So I'm like, ooh. But I, most times I pick someone else out in the field, and Lockie and Hari were, and Jay were my go-to guys in a lot of cases, who I knew would run unit, particular units or particular things so that I knew, all right, this person knows this rule and this person knows that rule, which sped things up for me having to flick through that book and go, okay, it's not in this section, it's in this section and so forth. So taken away from that, I'll, I'll be getting the, uh, I'll find that index and download that as, as soon as I can and print it out. But um, No, I think that's really cool. Like whoever made that, like that's that's a big and boon. The, and there's, there's another one I, th- I think that is really cool. It's like a quick reference guide. Yeah, um, yeah. And I've seen people, it's like two sides and they've laminated it and gone, most of what you need is on this. Yeah, which I think is actually is what's in here. the back of the rule book where the, all the charts and stuff are, are summarized at the back mm-hmm. of the book, um, which is, is, is quite handy to have. Particularly um, for new players. Yeah, yeah. And that uh, might be something for... What, what I found now after, yeah, pretty much fi- five years of playing bolt action pretty regularly, most operations in the game go very very smoothly it's when you get these red herrings and weird real oddball stuff that because they're not following the same logic that the rest of the game follows you know they they and that's why i was talking about abstractions before that um many of the other rules are logical mechanical rules and then suddenly you hit something that's a really abstracted version of what's happening with this and Obviously, it's there because they've decided that that was too powerful um, or not powerful enough relative to another mechanic in the game. Yeah. But it 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 breaks the reality, breaks the suspension of disbelief. Um, yeah. Quite the, game, the game like has to be able to run smoothly, and that's often often the case. Yeah. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, it is a game, not a simulation, as well. So there is that aspect as well. Absolutely. Um, the the other rule is uh, that I think I pulled Jonathan up on was uh, so I think he thought that when you're ranging in on um, like with a mortar or a howitzer or whatever that you could go down after um, 
after being hit so you can choose to go down after the hit or the same with recce if you get hit then you can recce away um which yeah is not the case for anyone um at home playing that uh you, you need to decide whether you're going down before the person um rolls hit which which, all- which also gets into a, a another question or an issue about that about the etiquette of that don't roll those dice too fast when when you're ra- rolling to range in with uh, an artillery piece or shooting at a unit that has recce you must give your opponent reasonable time, reasonable time to react with the full um, suite of options that they ha- that they have if you just start rolling damage straight away after you've you've um, uh, fired you know you're you're not giving your opponent the ability to to go down or no, to no, you, you absolutely have to have give, yep. them, give them that opportunity and say, "Would you like to go down?" Which is actually kind of interesting because I found that um, sometimes if you are if if you actually ask them, your opponent would you, because I of often it's obvious, and this doesn't go for HE, but just for everything, right? Um, for all shooting, often it's obvious um, if the right decision is to go down or not. So if you're about to shoot and you go and you really want them to go down, uh, but you no, that might not be the right That's decision. That's what she said. Huh? That's what she said. She did. Um, and if you ask them, hey, would you like, I'm, I'm going to shoot you. Uh, would you like to go down? Just asking that question sometimes can actually get them to go down. <laughs> giggity, giggity, well, and, we, and we get into to things like where, where you get into these really complex snarls of, of rule interactions, right? Where mm. somebody has declared that, they want to do this and it's quite obvious what it is that in in their head the way that this set of rules works and after a little bit of debate you come to the conclusion no actually that's six on six it's not not going to happen at what point do you say no you've you've put your cards down you you've uh declared an impossible move or do you say um no look you 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 weren't quite clear on that i will let you allocate that order to um or, or give a different order to that to that unit you know because because we're now in the the point uh where we're not really playing at grand tournament podium um we're not playing for sheep stations i i am of the opinion that it's reasonable that if your opponent has thought that something could potentially work and the rule the assumptions that they were under were wrong you, you give them a chance to do that differently. Well, yeah. it depends how late through the decision-making they've gone. So if they think, for example, um, they're going to charge and they, they're going to strike first um, because they, they don't realise that they're in cover or whatever. So if, you, if, 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 you, if you're in that situation and you ask, hey, I'm going to charge you here, Am I, I'm going to strike first, right? That's how it's going to work. Um, then you have that discussion. Um, but if you start picking up your models, like you're already like in combat, like you're about to roll your dice mm-hmm. and th- then your opponent sure. says, yep. Hey, um, actually we're striking first because I'm, you know, I'm in cover or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. is that, that's probably too late, right? Yeah, sure. it's very but, much but like things <laughs> like uh, the charge is a, is a good example. So if you imagine that, um, eight out of the nine units in your, uh, eight, of the, eight, eight out of the nine guys in your unit can charge straight but one of them clips a piece of terrain and therefore everyone can only move at half distance. Now, that might not be immediately visually obvious because you might logically assume, well, of course that last guy can just zip around. Just zip around. 
um, you know, there's a lot of ambiguity in the way that this stuff stuff works. And I, I'm really of the opinion you have to be reasonable about about that. You you're not yeah. going to go well. Yeah. Now you've only gone six inches and you're standing out in the open, and I'm going to shoot the shit out of you while you stand there for the sake of a, a one inch move clipping a cactus or something yeah well i mean if it's one guy yeah that's that's probably fine you should probably give it to him but also like uh, the the other person should should know not to put that you well, know, it, like, it is getting really difficult and the, yeah. the more game systems that you play and the more iterations of the same rules that you've played the harder and harder this gets because yeah. you're remembering bits of the same game system but it was the last edition editions, yep. <laughs> you're remembering bits of house rules you're rem- remembering bits of other game systems that are based on the same logic but they're a little bit different um and, so it's and really actually tricky. G- good segue for that in terms of like being having hangovers from previous editions so in version one of bolt action with flamethrowers they would automatically hit right we that's we all have horror stories of of that taking off our units um the boys brought out uh season rules for for, for you know a bunch of different things um but in in those season rules flamethrowers automatically hit on a three plus now when they change it to version two that changed, and I f- see a lot of people still rolling um, the dice for a three to hit with a flamethrower, which is yep. completely wrong. Ment- mentally, I still do that because yep. I was like, yeah, cool, that's what they do. It's a 50-point unit. What do you mean I, I, I don't even get a 50% chance at six-inch range to, to do this? Why would I possibly even buy it if it's not that good? You oh, know, for sure. I mean, well, like, uh, before, uh, yeah... I think flamethrowers, like man-packed flamethrowers, are okay. Like they've got a lot of potential, but I probably wouldn't use them. I, I like, I still like on the frog, but, um, but yeah, for anyone playing this rule um, wrong at home, basically flamethrowers ignore down penalty, like penalties for for the enemy being down and penalties for cover. Everything else they pay costs for. So if they move it, they're at neg one. If they're shooting at um, at small teams or at neg one if they're at long range which yes if you're at six inch range with a man pack flamethrower you're at long range but remember that cancels out because it's um you're at point blank still so um, we, it's, we, it's, it's very it's very clunky yeah. i admit and but that we, is we the rule going through this ju- just uh, before we started recording again trying to make sure we all <laughs> understood this the same way and we 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 had different versions of this i i had it in my head that a flamethrower is an assault weapon so that you're not taking penalty to move um and it's, it may, uh, it's, yeah. it's getting confusing now some it of is. this stuff yeah, there is actually a discussion going on the uh, bolt action facebook page uh, at the moment um in relation to this so we, we did dig out the uh, the rule book because uh, one of the other uh, flamethrower questions that was raised on the weekend is hits against vehicles does it cause one hit or does it actually cause the d6 hits uh, rules as written is every uh, for a hit with a flamethrower, it does multiply into a D6 hits or a D6 plus one if it's a uh, vehicle flamethrower. So then does that become if you roll to hit once you hit, you roll six, you roll a four. So that becomes four. Does yeah. that keep stacking up on itself? How, I, like, how difficult it is to, um, in the heat of the moment... Particularly yeah. when there's that pressure about you need that tank dead because that's the difference between 
um, podium or coming schlep. I mean, I mean, in my in my experience, the um, the damage that the flamethrower does to a tank is irrelevant because it's the terror check that te- typically yeah. check. Yep. to kill yep. it off. Well, it's D three plus one pins, and then they've got to take a terror check. So that's how I killed Ramon's. Um, uh, tiger on the weekend uh it, like you know like i i think i played it as like, it only did one hit um uh but i yeah i think after reading those rules again rubes you're right um it does do the multiple hits but that brings into question if you so say you do three hits or whatever and you penetrate it twice or glance it twice do you do multiple damage rolls yes yeah, you do? So yeah that's, you would, that's yeah. what i believe as well yeah, okay and really the, the other the conclusion that you have to draw from this is that the the potential damage that the the flamethrower does is not well it's so variable that you can't rely on it but what becomes very effective is you have to shoot at it just in case so it will draw the fire of three or four units because, yeah, yeah absolutely it's, it's the potential for it to do damage right like and it's yeah. the variance so like uh, half the time it might not do anything but the other but like because it's only 50 points, it's it's not worth your opponent like mm-hmm. rolling the dice to see uh, if it's going to do that damage. Because whereas whereas I, I think about yeah. it slightly differently in that um, I'm less worried about the potential damage that it does in most cases, but I'm looking at it going, that's a two-man unit, I can kill it with one shot. That too, yeah. Because oh, I, mean, I, I, go th- I go through um, this target allocation cycle about kill everything that I can kill with one yeah. shot straight away because it's stripping order dice from your opponent. Um, it hastens this sort of moral collapse in your in your enemy's unit army quite distinctly from what impact any one of those units has. It just means that every time a dice comes out of that bag, it's more likely to be mine than yours if I'm pinging out your mortars and snipers and flamethrowers anti-tank rifle teams little little things because i've known come to know how difficult it really is to kill a whole unit of dudes in one turn unless you're firing high explosive great big template or assaulting them out of like off objectives well, but, uh, or even, whatever. A, even assault is not reliable anymore. oh no I, I bounce off just as often as i go in oh know? my assault so like it's just so swinging so i against harry had my 13 veterans there and they came on and you know like uh shot shot his veterans at point blank and he might have had four or five veterans to my 13 left and the next turn he's like oh you're gonna charge me i said no no way i know that i know that these odds it looks like it's like like not a chance but there is a chance me just shooting you at point blank continue mm-hmm. continue because i didn't need them to be anywhere which was another, you know, like I just needed them to stay there was another consideration. But if it takes me two or three turns to shoot you off rather than one turn to kill you off, there's no risk for me doing that. So I'm not going to charge you. I keep coming up across this because, um, you know, that melee that we were talking about uh, when I was playing with Aaron, I was saying to him, why didn't you just assault me? And he's like, well, because I might bounce and lose my whole unit. But if I'm shooting... There's no risk. There's no yeah. risk. Yeah. And my my instinct has always been <laughs> hit him with the bayonet, yeah. put the boot in. Well, it depends you know? if you need, to, like, where you need to be. If you need to get through that unit to be on an objective, you know, like in, you know, the next turn, you, you like mm-hmm. you you don't really have an option because otherwise you don't have the the the, the, the time in terms to act, in turns to actually yeah. get there. But 
if, yeah. if you don't. But p- somehow it's it's just always been my <laughs> in my head red. about this <laughs> natural natural belligerence about wanting to hit someone with a shovel or something. But you know, you you kill them by by. Yeah. cold steel but, and, it, it, but is, it doesn't work you want like to look that. at a man in his eyes when you <laughs> kill him <laughs> it is such a risky risky thing to do to go into that hand to hand i mean learning the rules and that i played and i still do play a lot of solo games and i had a um i was playing a uh, battle of france um mini campaign and i pushed a full squad of germans into a lone uh, french machine gunner and because they're outside the six inches, got the defensive fire in. The machine gunner caused one casualty. Of course, the squad, the full strength squad, which had lost, uh, I got one guy on the approach, and then lost one in melee. Did no casualties in return, and were wiped out. So an entire yeah. ten man squad wiped uh, out by a lone machine gunner. I, 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 I've, I've been having this this happen recently. That if if you're anything like me, and you're the kind of person that can roll six dice and roll four ones. <laughs> um, you know, um, you, you, if you roll four ones when you're firing, it doesn't matter. It just means you haven't hit yeah. anyone. You roll four ones in combat, mm. um, your squad, whole squad is gone. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's, it's so, it, um, oh, it's so unforgiving. Yeah, I think it, um, <laughs> I think at Brad's event, um, the desert event, I, I charged my eight spies, like they're the cavalry into a machine gun. Um, and I think I lost three on the way in because it stood and shoot, it stood and shot, and then the and then the machine gun bloody killed them, um, you know, like was it struck at the same time, and like so I just lost eight spies just like for nothing. <laughs> I was like, what? But you know, the flip side of that is that really, when push comes to shove, if it means the difference between winning and losing, you can potentially plow a two-man team if yeah, if they are yeah. veteran versus regular or or uh, inexperienced um, and potentially break them. Um, you know, th- those two guys might just fuck everyone up really hard. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And like, if, if, if you need to throw that Hail Mary, like, yeah. it doesn't matter like what the risks are. Like, you've all yeah. made, like, you're not losing anything at that point, so you may as well go for it. Well, and the, the difference being, particularly when you're looking at a small squad versus a big one, um, if they fire, even if they have SMGs, you could potentially kill four, right? Because you're two two men with two shots each. But mm. if they're veterans going into an inexperienced squad, they could break the whole squad by just killing one more than mm. the than the opposition did. Uh, absolutely. Well, do you guys have any um, other other rules that you have been seeing misplayed? Um, the it, it's the the thing about. Going up and down buildings. Oh, yes, yeah, so you did. That you yeah. did. You did, did answer. You did ask that question. Um, yeah. So I think. So what was the context for this one? Well, it seemed like. Um, so moving into a building, you have to run in, right? And you can only run in to the ground floor, right? Now, what happens about running out? If you are on the upper f- upper floor, uh, or, or rather on the second second story. Yeah. So it's six inches down, and then out. Yeah. Can so you charge, no. can you charge if if another unit is touching the wall of that building? Can you charge down the stairs, out, and bayonet those dudes? Well, so there's stairs there, or is it just a two-story house? Well, because because two, I think it's a two-story house. Because yeah. I think it, it I think it it changes if there's stairs there. Oh, they go okay, up to the second right. floor. So it's a, it changes whether it's a building or a ruin. 
Well, but it's like I've seen there, there are buildings out there that have like a, a flight of stairs that go up to the second story, which is possible. But if that's not the case, which is typi- like typically the case, um, it takes a whole turn to go to move um, up or down a floor. So if you're on a, if you're on the second floor, you cannot charge anything outside of the third floor or the first floor. Yeah. Okay. Right? Well, all right. That's that's interesting to note. Then um, this this was a fully intact row house that had internal stairs um and what i wanted to do was um i was on the the first floor and i wanted to charge down the stairs so on the second from the not the first floor not, yeah not, not the, the ground the, floor, not the ground floor the first. <laughs> yeah that's that weird thing about whether uh, for for all of our american friends we have this bizarre thing about whether we call the the first floor, the second, you'll, you'll get it if you look it up. Um, so anyway, you wanted to charge off the, not the grand floor, the second floor. Yes. Um, to something that wasn't in the building. Yeah, but that was touching the building. So it yeah. was um, really only six inches down the stairs and then less than six inches out of the out of the building. Look, I think Rubes is looking up right now, yeah. but as, yeah. as so far if, as if I know, that's is, not how you can do it. The usual mechanic is that charge is six inches, uh, sorry, 12 inches. I'm not even sure you, you can charge out of a building, can you? But you have to charge in. Yeah, so... You have to run in to the building, so in, why can't in the you run book. out? So for going out, infantry units inside a building can assault units on a different floor immediately above or below or the same floor of an adjoining connected building section. So it's considered a surprise charge so from within six inches so you can't react. Um, for charging in, uh, you can only assault enemy units occupying the ground floor. Uh, you measure and move to the, any opening, so windows or doors I guess or holes in the wall. Resolve it as normal, except assaulting models are moved into contact with the building, uh, with at least one model in contact with an opening. So about a, about as clear as mud, then. So far. Um, no, so you can only... Quite ch- simultaneously. Yeah. So in, in the example you used of them uh, charging into a unit that is touching the building... I would say you probably could. No, because it's, it's it's still outside the building. It doesn't matter if you're touching the building or not. Like you're not you're, you're not just. Oh, I'm almost there. I mean, <laughs> and that, that well, that's just one you're of those things. You're probably better off just shooting them from the from you the are. windows. And and most of the time, I will say this: most of the time, you, unless you're a sniper, probably you probably never want to be on the second floor. Um, no, but this was the first. Oh, but which are we calling the uh, first hang on, or hang second? On. Here oh, we go. The ground, not one, the ground. Two. All right, so you never want to be on the first floor unless you're a sniper, I think, because you're like you you want to be able to be maneuverable, and I, it ta- takes an a, entire turn to go down a floor. Well, I, have I, a I have an example of this because I had to oh, go. go up hang to on, the, hang on. Yeah, here we go. A unit is allowed to make an assault move from within the building, either against an enemy or on another floor, into an adjoining building where they are connected or by leaping out from the building and attacking enemy outside the building. Yay! Including enemies in a different, not adjoining building in the transport, etc. An enemy who's outside a building and more than six inches away from the building itself 
can react by firing at the assaulting unit in the usual way, but calculates fire once the assaulting troops have left the building, i.e. without the benefit of cover. So, therefore... Wait, so is that... You can do that from the first floor or the or just the ground floor? Well, it actually says you could can by leaping out from the building. What, jumping so off the first floor? They jump off the above. roof with a knife in their teeth and a uh, yeah. sharpened entrenching tool. <laughs> you know, you can do. You can actually do that in Nec- Necromunda, but you have you to... You can actually yeah. do that right yeah. now. But you can kill yourself, right? You yeah, could actually do that right now. <laughs> why, don't, why don't we do that right we'll te- now? We'll test it out. I'll yeah. roll, my, roll, my, roll my dice. If I roll a one, I die. Yeah, <laughs> just jump off the roof with a knife in your teeth. That's fine. All right, so... Good times. Very inconclusive. Um, well, <laughs> if if they're on the fl- on a particular floor, though, it's assumed that it's, um, each floor is large enough for a single unit to occupy the floor because you don't actually move your models around inside the building. If it's a complete building, that is anyway. So all of this just tells me that this game was not designed to be TO'd with 15 players playing this at once, all asking you yeah. weird questions <laughs> about shit like this. It's definitely not designed for uh, for city fights, per se. Certainly not designed for competitive play. Well, there we, there we go about our, our English friends. Uh, so what was his podcast called? Oh, look, okay. If, you li- if you're listening, guys, I actually did enjoy it listening to the podcast this is the uh the the juggernaut uh podcast from the uk and their emphasis really is on how can you play 40k as a comp not 40k um how can you play bolt action in the same way that you would play 40k as a competitive tournament game um i remain and as i'm sure we all do unconvinced that this is either something that can be done or something that you would even want to do, but it's very entertaining to, to listen to. <laughs> and I, I'm not uh, raising this in this co- uh, conversation, uh, you know, trying to score points against no, we're, that. We're, we're picking a fight with another podcast, yeah, like, yeah. like for exposure no, or something. It, it, <laughs> it, it is actually really interesting because they they go through pros and cons. Like They, they almost do it like a debate about... Person X do pro about running it like this. Person X do con. And they weigh up the relative virtues and uh, uh, vices of of operating it like this. Um, Culturally, I think that's not how we do things in Australia. And it hasn't been through multiple different game systems. So we're talking about less something that is about game x or game y we're talking more about the way that we relate to each other when we go to an event yeah we're not here just to go who's who's got the biggest swinging dick and and we're we're smashing face here because look australia is a really big place we don't have that population density where you can get a lot of club games in to practice you know a a lot of the discussion that they go through is we're doing club practice, practicing for a tournament week in, week out. We can't do that. Australia's fucking huge, you know. Nah, and we're all, we're, all, we're all busy as well. So it's we're like we typically only play like um, that, that once every two month, two or three Absolutely, months for, yeah. for an I event, mean, I right? Was, I was running it up, tallying it up in my head. I've probably played 20 games of bolt action in 2018. You know, if, if I were 
um, running any sort of indicative thing when I used to hang around with competitive 40k players or anything like that. No, they would be doing three times, four times, five times that many practice and test games yeah, and if, list if, you, if you're chasing the meta or trying to find, find a list for that, you need to be playing at least a game or two a week. Um, and yeah, certainly, like there, there's no meta chasing. I, I don't think in our, in our scene, it's too small. Like, I mean, like we had a 14 player event, which we were, and we were happy to get. That's a good. That's yeah. a, that's a good number um, for the event that um, you know, like Rubes wanted to run and we kind of wanted to support. Um, but I think you know, like we'd we'd do ourselves no favors with like building the, the community by by going cutthroat. I think what we would do if if we pursued that. Um, that meta with a very small and very dispersed community as as we have here Mm. we would run it into the ground so quickly i think especially with the melbourne scene it's generally an older crowd um and a lot of guys come along just to throw dice and have some fun they're not there to so it's um their gaming day for the two or three months isn't it yeah exactly it's not yeah it's it's the one day that they don't have any family commitments or work commitments on it. They had to get out and bring out the toy soldiers and roll some dice rather than, all right, I'm going there to smash face and climb a podium, really. So, I mean, I think bolt action, especially the bolt action scene in Melbourne, isn't really one where you could run those, all right, let's play a smash face event because I don't think you'd, you would get the numbers. Uh, you might get three or four players turning up. You might get a few that are curious. But I don't think um, you would get huge numbers if you go, right, this is going to be a hardcore well, particular, event. Particularly not if it was all the time. I think you could do like a kind of, you know, the occasional if you wanted to or do like off, a, like particularly of. if it was like a, a two-day event, like which we were kind of discussing before um, the, the viability of that. So like they do, they run it in, um, in Canberra for CanCon and WinterCon. They do a two-day event. They attract a lot of people and um, people and... But like what you'll find is for big events, whatever, whether it's bold action or different events, um, you'll you'll find the people who are going to play competitively, and they'll be on the top tables. You'll find the people um, on the middle tables who want to, you know, like try and do well, but like aren't, don't care about podiuming. And then you'll find the people on the bottom tables just but having we, fun we, and rolling we, dice. We get yeah. some interesting uh, kind of stuff about that. You know, I, I used to play those those big. Uh, 40k events that would be two days or something and look I, I was never I never had the time to dedicate to list testing and chasing the meta to be um, a smash face top podium thing but um, I was compensated very highly because I would be chasing almost chasing the meta in terms of the theme and the painting and presentation mm. stuff and the way that everything was calculated in that was um, your score would be buffed significantly. If, even if you were getting a hiding all week, if you had one of the best-looking armies there, you, you would be right up there because yeah. almost something like a third of your um, finishing points were, were coming from uh, painting and presentation. That's quite unique to Australia. Um, as as far as I've been able to t- determine, that's that's not common elsewhere because you used to see um, grand tournament armies that were were bare plastic because uh, th- this perverse thing that it was people got a better resale price selling assembled but unpainted armies than they would if they actually painted it, yeah. which was <laughs> completely perverse and weird, but whatever. Um, 
No, I think you, you, can know, get it, you can certainly avoid that by saying, oh, it needs to be three colours, but also don't take the piss. Like, because you can go, oh, I painted my three colours with, like, mm-hmm. three three dot, dots or whatever, different colours or whatever. Yeah. But, like, obviously, you need some common sense. Don't and, take the piss. Look, I, I think, yeah. really, the, the, the community is not big enough yet. And I say yet because in, in a couple growing. of years, we, we, we might be there to the point where we might start saying, well... Um, let's look at not just what your finishing score is um, and not just whether it's a zero-sum game about whether you are player's choice or not and if you're second in line for that makes no difference, you might as well be 15th but to give some kind of points buff or or acknowledgement to people yeah, they might not be the absolute bee's knees about um, the presentation but it's got some really cool stuff in there you know I, I i would really like to see find a mechanism to incorporate that into into what we do yeah because yeah. There, there's lots of guys i'm seeing now that they're we're now seeing their fourth or the third or fourth army that they've pulled out not maybe n- none of them have have ever won best but you're seeing a massive improvement um you know, and and the 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 amount of um, benefit that that does to to the scene of of seeing more and more really beautiful armies out on the table. Yeah, that I think that just comes to a cultural thing as well. Like where everyone wants to like you know put their best foot forward, and even yeah. if they're not winning awards, it's like you know like me, I'm not not going to win a painting award, but I know I just like. You know, I take pride in the stuff that I paint. Like, I'm not going to do a shitty job. Like, you know, apart from the fact I do like painting. Um, uh, but, you know, just being able to take that pride in, in your own work and say, I want to put down, a, like, a decent, a nice army yeah, on the table. Yeah, I agree. Like, I mean, I've run a few armies this past year that were never going to be in contention for any podium spots. But I really enjoyed the theme around them. They were a bit different. And I had a lot of people come up and go, oh, what's the go with your list? And tell them, and go, well, that's really cool. Um, I got more enjoyment from that than than getting a placing or a podium, I guess, because it's like I've done the research, I've, I've tailored my list, I've put a theme into it. Yeah, I know, like, my six order dice Japanese landing force, I knew I wasn't going to win uh, hardly anything with that, but I had a great time with it. It was something different. You beat uh, Hari, didn't you? I did, I did. <laughs> Love you, Hari. Um, and then I got stomped in the next two games, but, uh, yeah. That I, I doesn't that. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I killed his murder wagon, that's all that counts. Um, and, like, uh, the last event that I was able to do, um, which was uh, Op Bear, I think it was, was the last one, Brad's uh, Op Bear. And I took a 1940 German platoon in a, a essentially what was a matter of late war armies. Uh, it didn't phase me. I knew I was going to get stomped, but I had a one-to-one platoon. It was a cool theme. I was really in- inspired and um, thrilled and had a great time putting it together and you know, researching it and people go, well, you know, what have you got in your army? Oh, well, you, you're not going to get anywhere. And I'm like, no, but this is why I've done it like this. And everyone, oh, well, you've even got the wagon in there because every platoon had a supply wagon. It was that cool factor for me. That, but um, one one, one thing that, uh, that, that occurs to me potentially how we could um, just get more people looking at cool armies and bouncing off each other. And so and there's a whole other scene out there playing Chain of Command. They're playing with the same miniatures in the same scale. The the game mechanics might be a little bit different, but lined up on the t- on on a table, 
the miniatures are identical. Yeah. Um, it's so an, it is another like, rule system to learn, though. Which no, is, no, I'm, I'm not saying... What I'm saying, though, is at an event like CanCon or WinterCon, where both of those are running concurrently, judge the painting of all of those together because they're all 28 the millimeter theme, the same era, the World same War Two scale units. Um, which which rule set they're built to accommodate is is irrelevant. You're just looking at 50 or 60 28 millimeter World War Two guys. You know. that, that, that is interesting I mean, unfortunately I, I think that only works at the big events where you do have those multiple systems running for now for but, now but there's, there's nothing to say that we couldn't combine forces with those guys and go well if you want to play COC there's X number of games running if you want to yeah. play the back four action, tables are COC exactly, the front yep. eight are bolt action yep. and we're going to judge the, uh, the, the painting and stuff together as a combined thing and if you want to learn something about how that other game works have a look at that that's that's not a bad that's quite an interesting idea actually mm. Mm. that's awesome well i mean like we've been talking about it as well so um the next phase for the v-bell could be uh we need to do a bunch of organizing but we're thinking about doing some linked events um in 2019 um this is uh your your idea rubes and um, this is what you're, you're kind of brought to the table which i, I really like but yeah i'm i'm very much i've always been a narrative driven gamer um rather than the competitive side and i love love the story behind the army or the campaign or whatever uh, so my idea was to run a series of events um and now the fine mechanics need to be tuned uh, but essentially uh my idea initially was a map based campaign spanning the globe and pretty much the whole war so if you want to run Italians run Italians you want to run Japanese Japanese or you know Australians or whatever but the results at the linked events would go to uh, an overall map to show the progress of the war and to get a bit of a an overall story uh, going with it and, and my idea is that you don't, wouldn't have to run the same army for however many events if you want to take Germans one uh, event and Russians the next doesn't matter. Your results will go towards that nation's success in winning the war or defending their territory or taking new territory, depending on you know. And and would would you envisage envisage this uh, as something that is um, only run at events, or would we be able to say, you know, me and Lockie have played a game at home. We submit the results, and that goes in. How, how do you? I mean, there's different ways that campaign systems work and we we don't have a definitive one yet for bolt action although you were saying the battle of france yeah, battle of france does actually have a um a campaign system which I, I might touch on in a little bit but um yeah initially i envisioned it to be event only um my only hesitation of home games being included is that some people have more time to play home games than others and that could skew results um also i from years past I know when Games Workshop did their global campaigns people were emailing in and saying yeah I've just played 23 games and my Chaos Marines won, won those the whole time so it's of course skewed. Armageddon fell yeah. that was, that was <laughs> it, the end of it it, it skewed, um, skewed results by people giving false uh, reports now I don't think that would happen with it, the Melbourne scene in Bolt no, Action because it's, I don't think it would it's either, a pretty but small but yeah. you know, well knit scene but however I think the events the idea behind it would would hopefully attract people to come and go. Well, it gives them something to fight for. Once again, there's there's no podiums. It's an overall grand big grand scheme or a big picture. 
and people go, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm fighting, I'm, I'm running my, uh, my Italians and, oh, no, the Allies have pushed into the motherland. I better better go to this next event and, and reclaim some of that territory or push them back and protect, protect my shores sort of thing. So you, you wouldn't envisage this that um, there would be advantages, cumulative advantages, that once you start taking ground, you get extra reinforcements? Well, that, that's or, something that's... Because um, that gets really, really complex and it, hard it does, to run. Yeah, it's, it's something Tristan and I uh, were discussing the other day when we caught up, was that something simple that gives a, a bit of an advantage for taking certain territories or certain areas or certain countries... Uh, but not uh, nothing that would be overwhelming. Um. See, I, I think maybe one of the, even from stuff that exists within the, the universe of bolt action books, um, look at the rules for the Fall of Berlin list where um, mm. you, know, you, you roll a d6 and you might get something completely useless, bunch of old men with yeah. obsolete <laughs> rifles turn up, or it might be a panther. Yeah. You know, so the more battles that you win... The more rolls, the you more get. chances you yeah. get about, and it, and it's randomized. You know, it could yeah. be something cool, or it could be something I, I that's be more, more of a liability at, than, than. I'd be more looking else. at um, perhaps army special rules rather than units, because otherwise, someone might make a roll, and all of a sudden, they roll up the unit of old men with crappy rifles, and yet the next game, because there's no record keeping between games per se, they turn up and go, "Oh, here's my panther. I rolled for my." my thing so yeah i think something that can be rolled at the start of an event quickly yeah, easily it, and not requiring yeah, extra like i think it needs tank, the the veteran tank rules from um the tank wars yeah something thing. along those something lines along you know, that, you, right. you've taken so much territory your tanks get a, a some sort of veterancy uh rule if you've taken industrial areas or yeah you know or um you know you've you've taken Italy, so you get an extra point Pasta. on morale because your troops got passed through wine, you know. <laughs> so, like the the thing from that uh, that massive game that oh. took six months to yeah. pay you, you you get extra tomato sauce. For yeah. your pasta. <laughs> I don't have enough Ma- water rations to cook my pasta in, so I lose morale. No, it'll be hard, we'll, and we'll have to discuss this. I, mean, I think, um, like any bonuses, they like the winners get that brings forward. Like it'd have to be meaningful enough to make it. Um, you know, like worthwhile, but yeah, also but not not overbalanced. Not, not overbalanced. But essentially, what I'm what I'm envisaging at least is three or four um, events, like one day events, like we've been doing that are linked, and it, like each event will still have different. It's different format and everything. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So like they can be different point values. I reckon one one event should be a tank wars event, which should be cool. I want to run the next event. I'm thinking I, I want to run in the next um, the first quarter of of 2019. We'll hopefully have um, different. So, so each scenario, uh, sorry, each table will have different um, a different scenario and um, different like rules and basically a different mission pack, and that'll be specific to that um, to that table. And so, obviously, no one will play on the same table um, more than once. But that, I think that would be an opportunity to use some of their rules, like the alternative rules yeah, in, in the yeah. campaign book. I so really like, like that because there yep. is so many cool rules out there about weather effects and yep. terrain effects that. We just don't see because we do play in a competitive atmosphere, so to speak, rather than that home game where you do play that extra little bit of narrative. So it'd be cool, you know, playing. And I think on the, a the other thing that's, that's important to consider with that is that you know we we know absolutely that um, real life gets in, gets in the way. People have family yeah. commitments and work commitments, and we we don't want to make it this thing where it just 
penalises people who have real life shit to do. Oh no, you know, we um, we, the, we the, wouldn't make you, it. You're getting yeah. cumulative advantages because of the more games that you can play. But it wouldn't be on an individual basis. So you could come to one event, not come to the next, and come to the and not and then like you could. So you can miss a, an event and wouldn't be penalised because it's the it's the 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 side so it's either the axis of the allies or whatever that are getting those benefits not the individual players yeah and I, it's that's also, what i'm envisaging <laughs> yeah I, I that's basically the way i'd seen it is that and you wouldn't accumulate additional effects per se it'd be right this this event um the allies have taken western france back so you'll get a bonus for this for this event only um Say they take the rest of France, they might get a different uh, bonus. Because because what you what you event. don't want to see is, um, you know, some guy and it's he's he's rocked up to one of our, our events and it's his first game, um, and he's playing someone who's done six of these things, so he's got six cumulative <laughs> bonuses <laughs> yeah, stacking right. on themselves. <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah. we'll certainly be avoiding that. But it could be something as simple as being like having the opportunity to, to deny outflank or something like saying, yeah. okay, you can't outflank this game um, and that's my bonus or, you know, like whatever it is. Yeah. It doesn't... And that's something that's not game-breaking but still acknowledges the fact that you've taken a certain area. Your side at least has taken, you know, taken back France or has pushed through North Africa or something like that or, you know, retook the Philippines or, you know, something just to acknowledge it it's it's progressing the story yeah yep yep absolutely all right do we uh, have anything else to say guys no I, i'm i'm done for the evening i think i'm pretty cooked it's pretty yep. hot pretty it hot up, warm here. up here yeah definitely uh steamy up here i'm just looking at your shorts with uh, a great deal of of envy in <laughs> my uh, tight black jeans going oh shit i wish i put some shorts on <laughs> Yes, I'm like, my my jeans are quite sore. I've had uh, three of these nice craft beers, and I'm like, ooh, out of beer, time to go home. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, thank you so much for listening. If you're still listening now, um, thanks again to Good Games for running uh, uh, for hosting us at Conquest Europa. Thank you to Rubes um, for organising. It was a great day. There'll be plenty uh, more to come to, I hope. And thank you to everyone who came and who's going to join us in the 2019 season. Well, uh, on that subject also, um, thank you everyone who's uh, listened to us all through uh, 2018. Yeah, we've, we've really tried to do a bit of a number and step this up this year. So uh, those of you who have followed us uh, through, through this year, we really do appreciate uh, you sticking with us through all this jibber-jabber. Yeah, um, and, uh, I'm sure it can be hard to wade <laughs> through some of the shit that we say, but um, at the end of the day, thank you. All right, and we will see you all next year. Happy 2019.